You're listening to the Straight Shooting Radio Show on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the hosts of the show, Jason Selms and Mario Vladko. Welcome back to the Straight Shooting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Thank you for joining me. We've got a great show coming up as uh, Mario's looking at his paperwork right now. How are you, Muzz? G'day, Jason, and welcome back, everyone, to the Straight Shooting Podcast. Now, I'm sure you guys are just itching to hear our voices and you've been missing us a lot because it's been a while since we've done a podcast jason and we're taking a bit of a break but uh you've been very busy jason you've uh, lo- clocked up some pretty good interviews i have but before we do that let's just go into the intro to the show so if you want to check out uh the podcast australian hunting podcast.com.au uh the twitter feed twitter.com forward slash ah podcast uh, also if you want to email me click on the contact icon on the website uh, or alternatively, Australian Hunting Podcast uh, at gmail.com. Now, today, Mars, I'm a bit disappointed because we don't have any user voicemails to play on the show, which we think is really, really important, guys. We encourage everyone to cl- go to the website, Australian Hunting Podcast. .com.au and on the right hand side near your slider bar you'll see a big icon that says voicemail. You can record it, you can do it on your iPhone, your Android, it works uh, using your laptop as long as you've got a recorder you can even use your phone. Uh, record it because I edit it anyway once you send it in. I cut all the stuff out of it to start and the end to make sure it, you know, it fits the podcast and we play them on the show. So please if you want to be a part of the show absolutely you know please do that uh, we'd, we'd, we'd absolutely love that um what else Mars? um well yeah i just want to add to that jace i mean you don't have to include your full name guys uh yeah. please uh you know you don't have to ask a, a particularly uh intelligent question or difficult question or whatever it might be just say g'day you know just say g'day guys uh um, love listening to your show uh keep up the great work and uh you know we're, we're happy to put that on the show Absolutely. Of course, if you want to listen to the show, iTunes is where majority of people download the show. They you know, subscribe. I uh, was having a few problems a couple of weeks ago just with new shows showing up, but they finally did. Must have been a bit of a bug in iTunes. I'm not sure uh, what was happening. Um, also, too, you can listen to us on the website, uh, stitcher.com. Also, houses our, we- uh, our, sorry, house. <laughs> houses our podcast as well. So if you're overseas and you've got a Wi-Fi connection, uh, you can listen to us basically anywhere around the world and as soon as we upload a show it's basically you know up in about 20 minutes so you can definitely listen to us there now Muzz if you didn't know this buzz I'm going to do something here because it doesn't know this is actually happening now um, as you know Muzz we play a lot of advertisements on the show Muzz yeah yeah now, Muzz has been pretty – I mean, I've got a few of them, but Muzz has been fairly integral in um, organising uh, our sponsors, uh, Liberal Democrats. He did Horsley Park, yep. uh, Red Fox, you hear on the show. Um, pretty double much, S-double-A? Yep, double – bastard. Double <laughs> S-double-A. And I think the only ones I uh, have got is Shooters and Fishers Party. And um, who else did I get? Uh, uh, who's the other one? Um, oh, I can't remember, Jace. Shooters, oh, no, Shooters and Fishers Party and Mike Nissen from the Exhibition Group doing yes. the uh, – Double S double A yes. ads for the uh, shot expert, which is fantastic. Now, Huntfest, oh, Huntfest too. Yes, Huntfest. Don't, let's not forget. <laughs> hey, and if you do want to get into Huntfest, they've got not hardly any stalls left. Uh, you probably heard our interview with uh, Dan Field from Huntfest. So if you want to get your last booth, I think there's only one left. From speaking to uh, him the other day, so get in on that. But what I'm going to do is Mars take the headphones off for a sec. Take them off. Yep. 
going, oh, there's a reason why. Muzz asked me just a two seconds ago for anyone that didn't want to know why he couldn't use my toilet. There's two things in there for you. Go. Oh, okay. So he's getting up, guys. I'm, I'm just, I bought him a gift. He doesn't know it yet, but bring it out, sit back down. Two things. Left-hand side, left-hand side. Two things. Two things. Pick it up. Come and sit back down, mate. Put your headphones back on. Yeah, go. Come on. Hurry up. Hurry up. Hurry up. Now, just re- he's got an idea. Now, just sit back down. Sorry, guys, if you're hearing this. I've just I've bought him something. I want him to actually put. Well, wow. He doesn't, he doesn't have to put his headphones on just yet. You can if you want. Go put them back on. So, guys, as you know, Mars has been very helpful with um, you know uh, the podcast. You know, he's he's pretty ballsy. The old Mars, he doesn't mind um, you know just ringing up people and say, "Listen, this is gets thirty five thousand downloads per month. You should sponsor the show." So, what do you got, mate? What is it? Well, Jace. I'm speechless. It's it's amazing. Well, tell it's come a, on, tell well, the people. It's, it's an Icom uh, UHF uh, five watt CB in car CB. Yeah, the IC440N, wow. which guys, as you might know, Icom makes some of the uh, best CB radios in the world. I Is mean, this for me, Jace? Yeah, no, it's for the Tooth Fairy, you idiot. <laughs> You idiot. I can't believe it. That's um, awesome. Thanks, mate. I, yeah, and I also got down there on the ground. What's that? He's got a um, GME. Uh, antenna, I think. Yes, the- yes, we've got a GME um, an- antenna for the uh, CB, which is um, yep. it's got the uh, flexible um, whip s- uh, whip yep. on there, which is oh, looks awesome. I think it's the AE. What is it? Four hundred one four hundred one eight K one. Yep. I've, so yep. It's a, you'll get about twelve to fifteen Ks wow. out of that one. So and then Jason, the, and then the, so much. And then the ICOM four forty is um, you know pretty much a top of the range. Uh, CB radio, pretty much. Wow. Uh, as you said, you've got the, all the stuff's in the handset, so you can pretty much uh, install it underneath your seat and then just run the uh, handset yep. up on uh, or behind the dash and run the handset up, and there you go, mate. Yeah, it's got the it's got the full digital control on the handset, which is, to be honest, Jace, I was I was just the other day looking what? at something like this yeah. um, while I was on my break at work, and uh, I had the uh, uh, good fortune of being close to a shopping centre, and I was looking at something like this, and I thought, "Geez, I want to buy one of these one day." Yeah. And uh, mate, I'm absolutely stoked. Thanks, mate. No worries. This is unbelievable. I hope you enjoy so, it. Whatever you do, please don't friggin' let it sit there for the next six months. <laughs> spend a hundred, spend a hundred bucks, you tired ass or whatever, yeah. <laughs> or one hundred and fifty bucks, and go and get it installed, uh, or get your mate over, get your mate, um, whatever his name is, over there. That knows Tony. It. Tony, get Tony over there. <laughs> he can install it for you, mate. Um, well, you know what, Jace, you always, you always give me stick when we go hunting yeah. about how I don't have a built-in CB in the car, and yeah. now I'm finally going to have one. I mean, thanks, even mate. they I don't appreciate get, that very much. That's all right. Um, just again, get it installed. Please don't let it sit there for six months. Please get it installed. Um, you know, that's uh, as I said, one of the best uh, UHF radios you can buy, mate. So all all the uh, controls in the handset, and um, you know, you've worked hard. And you know, as I said, guys, when he came over tonight with the Straight Shooting Podcast, he's written like uh, three pages uh, from the Jeff Jones interview, which um, you heard last week. You know what I mean? Yep. Which we just play, which we're going to go through again tonight uh, on the show. So you, you're going to talk about that as well. Um, Wow! What, just give me a moment, Jason. I'm just skidding over this. Is a, man, this that, is, that's about five hundred bucks worth of gear, there, man. Wow. So I mean, thanks, you know, mate. No, it's all right. Honestly, no from the, from the bottom of my heart, mate. Thanks. That's, that's really nice. That's wonderful. 
That's all right. Um, and I mean, who am I to talk anyway? I mean, I don't even have a bloody. I've got. I'm driving a 23 year old car, so I mean, you know. But I carry, you know, when I get my new car, which hopefully will be soon. Uh, for some of you guys that do know me, I am going through a restructure type thing at my work. Mm. Um, so you know, I may not have a job in about three months. So um, obviously, I'll get a nice uh, hefty payout if they don't want me anymore. Been there at my job for about 12 years now. For some of you that don't know me, can't sort of say too much about what it is. But if you know me, you know you know what I do. Um, um, so, what's our? Jeez, you see, we're all, whoa, I'm all emotional now. No, not really, but I'm not really. <laughs> I'm pretty chuffed, actually. That's unreal. Just Jason. get it installed, please. Yeah, Whatever I you will, do, I get will, it installed. No, that, that is honestly, um, honestly, uh, th- this is probably one of the best gifts I've, I've ever been given. I mean, yeah. really, you know, it really is good. I mean, my wife's given me some uh, pretty good presents for uh, birthdays and things like that. But this is um, from a friend. This is like the best gift I've ever been given, mate. Yeah. Thanks a lot. That's all right. No, no worries. Good on you, mate. That's great. All right. Let's. Um, what we're going to do, we're just going to get into one of our first articles. Okay, everyone. First business of the day is uh, we're just going to discuss that excellent interview Jason done with uh, uh, SSAA National President Jeff Jones. And for those of you that have uh, listened to the interview, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure you agree it was a fantastic interview. I was very happy with the way actually Jason done the interviews. Pretty good job, Jason. You done you done well there, mate. Um, and uh, but it got off to a bit of a rough start, didn't it, Jace? Yeah. Like uh, initially in uh, in all the communications. Can you I, tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I must admit. Um, should we should we t- start from the beginning? Nah, just make it quick, mate. Yeah, right. From the, from the <laughs> beginning, um, I, I emailed Jeff. Uh, not sure if you guys knew about this. I did email Jeff uh, or the person, one of his secretaries. Now, initially, um, I got an email back from somebody from the SSAA saying, no, he basically wasn't interested. Uh, so I plastered mm. a few bits of things on Facebook saying, you know, why wouldn't Jeff Jones talk to us? You know, what's the problem? What's he got to hide? You know, we interviewed our former SSAA National President Dean Mile, who's yep. a really, really nice guy, um, and had a really great relationship with Dean Mile. Uh, also, I think, I think, got a pretty good relationship with Diana Mellum, Executive Director, which, again, I was supposed to interview Diane last December. Uh, we're still in contact, and we're finally going to knuckle that down for some time next month. Anyway, I ended up finding Jeff's email, and mm. I ended up emailing him directly, and uh, you know, he, he said a few things, I said a few things, and basically we come to an agreement that he would like to do the interview, and I I said, well, yep. great. I sent him the questions, and obviously, you heard the interview uh, last week. So we did, you know, have that relationship, and I'm glad we were able to mend that. It just goes to the show. Normally, what I do is I contact the person directly, hmm. and I've learned a bit of a lesson in that. Um, you know, when you're trying to talk to someone, you know, basically talk to them directly. If they're going to knock you back directly, then fair enough. Don't talk through a third party, um, which I think was a mistake that I made and jumped the gun, no pun intended, just a little bit. So Muzz uh, spent a lot of time going through uh, that interview, uh, some positives, uh, some issues where he think there could be some improvements and some things that Jeff said. So we're going to sort of uh, break that down, yep. uh, the Jeff Jones interview. Because I know, Muzz, before we get to that one, Muzz, we do have coming up soon after this show in a, in a week or two after this show we do have uh national senator bridget mckenzie where yep. everyone knows bridget mckenzie has been very very good uh on firearms rights um hunting uh giving speeches in parliament and uh, muz listened to it and what did you think he's well, I, I thought he was pulling me leg a little bit because he no, reckons this is no. some of the best the best one i've ever done I, so. I kid you not guys please do not miss jason's interview with senator bridget mckenzie this is an absolute cracker um, it is a really good interview. I think Jason done a, an outstanding job uh, in asking all the really difficult questions. And I think the senator really done a good job in uh, doing her best in uh, answering as much as she could. Um, 
I, I was very impressed with that interview. I really couldn't, uh, I couldn't fault you, Jason. You've done a really, uh, you know, outstanding uh, job. And um, and uh, Bridget McKenzie, um, you know, I've have I have some small criticisms of some of the things you said, but overall, she's an absolute gun. <laughs> pardon the pun. <laughs> she pun intended. She, yeah, pun intended. Um, she is absolutely <laughs> awesome. We are we are really really lucky to have her. Um, uh, representing uh, firearm, firearm owners in, in um, federal parliament. So, yeah, fantastic interview, guys. Please don't miss it. Um, and that will that should be coming up after this show. Don't, is it, Jace, or? Um Yeah, she probably will be the next one. Maybe an everyday hunter in between, but it won't be a couple yep. of weeks after you it hear the show. It won't be long at all. I know yep. people are hanging out for it. I've got a few comments and a few emails, but... As I said, guys, you know, we try to mix it up with everyday hunter, straight shooting, normal interviews. It just mixes everything up, which I think do people do enjoy. All right, okay. Mars, the Jeff Jones. Let's go into the yes, comments. Now, let's first go. of all, my comments are regarding Jeff Jones. I mean, he seems like an absolute really nice guy, uh, fantastic, uh, w- well-spoken, um, very good representative for the SSAA. However, this interview, Jason, uh, opened up for me a lot of cracks, a lot of problems, uh, I think, that uh, need to be addressed. And um, some of these things, uh, I think, I hope a lot of you guys that are really heavy into SSAA don't see this as a bit of friendly fire. It's just, uh, I think, criticism that's, I think, uh, internal criticism that's, uh, I think, well-deserved. I think the SSAA in a lot of aspects need to step up. So I'll just start with, um, for example, at around about nine minutes, he comments that regarding uh, regarding if there is a job that needs to be done that he won't shirk from it. So that's good to know. I mean, uh, Jeff is a straightforward kind of guy. Uh, at 16 minutes, uh, he says he does not believe registration offers any benefits. Um, he believes that they should be scrapping registration. Well, my question is, well, why aren't we doing it? I mean, what is SSAA? What are the practical steps that are taking that they are taking to you know scrap registration? And I think that's when Muzz said too when I interviewed him. It's okay to um, agree uh, to get rid of registration, but yeah. again. I probably should have stepped up a little bit there too and said, okay, well, what proactive steps are we taking mm. um, to get rid of registration? Now, he did say, I think, during the interview as well, I'm pretty sure, um, that, yeah, well, it was just a given, you know. We, we, they, everyone, he thinks everyone yeah, knows that it's not that something sort of they voice quite often in the magazine. Exactly. Uh, they, they don't really talk about it that much. And it's fine to have an, a, an opinion on it, but um, when you're the president, national president of the association, uh, having an opinion... To be honest, it's just not it's not enough. It needs to be backed up by uh, some action. So then at 18 minutes, he uh, talks about the statistics from NZ Show, uh, New Zealand, uh, that even with their uh, laws, they have no greater uh, illegitimate firearm use than Australia. So, I mean, as you know, New Zealand have very liberal, fairly liberal gun laws compared to Australia, and there's no significant um, uh, increase in the illegitimate firearm use than Australia. So... I mean, saying I mean that's that's pretty good evidence too because New Zealand very much country like ours. Uh, at 90 minutes, he mentions that um, with the consent, uh, constant exchange of people from NZ to Australia, you would think that something would rub off. <laughs> well, my question is to Jeff. I mean, you're the national president, Jeff. Make it make it so. Make it rub off. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Uh, so 20 minutes. At 20 minutes, he commented that um, it has never been the double S double A's position. To support registration, they oppose it. Um, and uh, in the magazine, but, but it's not vocalised in the magazine, like I said before. And um, and also, you've got the firearms registry uh, that's present at the shot show. It's like part of the shot show. I mean, 
Sure, uh, I don't. I don't understand what benefit uh, achieves. What's the benefit in inviting the firearms registry to be part of the shot show? Mm. You know what I mean. I mean, I guess uh, we did do an interview with the, the uh, 2014 Sydney yes. shot show, didn't we? Which was quite interesting. If you haven't yeah, listened yeah, to that episode, um, I think it's 59, 59 and 60. Um, so check those out. Um, I mean, I could understand if you could say if the laws were slightly different in Australia, if you could register your firearm on the spot. But I don't think you can do that, can you, Jace? I'm not no. sure if that's, if that's the procedure. No, so. you can't. No, no. You've got to send no, it can't. in. You've got to get your permit to acquire. Yeah. goes through your dealer. Uh, and then your dealer sends in the, does the paperwork, either sends it in or does it, does it online, depending on what state you're in. Yeah. Uh, then you get your registration papers, you know, yeah. a uh, couple of years later. So, um, yeah. What else did you say, Muz? All right. This is the big one. This is the one that we should spend a bit of time talking on because I, I just almost fell off my chair when I heard this one. He says that about 23 minutes. He says that he's he he that the double SAA pound for pound are more oh, effective no. than the NRA. <laughs> the NRA. Uh, he mentions that per capita we have more members than the NRA. Well, I mean, yes, per capita we do have more members than the NRA because because the in the, in Australia uh, you need a double SAA uh, and other clubs such as to uh, have a genuine reason to own a firearm. So it's virtually mandatory. To be a member of the club, member of a, of a club, of a club, yeah. Um, uh, if you want to buy a gun uh, in Australia, so are you I mean, saying people um, are forced to join the double or double SAA and or another organisation? And because say double SAA has a lot of ranges, correct? People naturally would uh, flock towards the double SAA, whereas the NRA people yep. want to join the NRA, not because yep. they have to, because the NRA doesn't have, as far as I'm aware, any ranges. So I mean. They're an, ad- they're an advocacy group that gets uh, zero dollars from the government, all self self made and self uh, uh, you know paid for by the members of the NRA. Yes, that's correct, Jason. They're, they're, I mean, there are many rangers in the United States that are affiliated, affiliated with the NRA, um, but um, he says pound for pound, double S double A are more effective than the NRA. Now, I am a member of the NRA, as Jason is as well. And uh, for those for those of you that who who are you'd know you know how effectively the NRA lobby government. They are the most powerful lobby group in the world. Uh, the amount of emails I get from the NRA virtually on a weekly basis, uh, letting me know all the all the fights that they're fighting in each state and uh, all the uh, laws that they're managing to overturn. I mean, they overturn stupid a stupid gun law literally every week. Literally every week in some state in America, they're overturning gun laws. They're using their lobby power to overturn gun laws. So, w- and like in Colorado, when yep. uh, they come up with dumb laws, they they recall politicians. Yeah, uh, inevitably, two of them lost their jobs. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, and you know, I mean, it, it's really a farcical comment. So I'm sorry, Jeff, but um, I hope you appreciate this as critical uh, as a you know. Constructive, constructive criticism, criticism yeah. but uh, really the NRA are, are the most powerful lobby group and in the world. And as me and Muzz know, we are, um, I've get my email now. First, America's First Freedom is the yep. uh, magazine I choose to receive from the National Rifle Association. I, 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 Muzz likes the hard copy. I changed over to the uh, electronic copy because I've got a tablet so I can read it uh, on my tablet. And uh, if you look at America's First Freedom, which we've spoken about before, a really hard-hitting political magazine, yeah. uh, tells you about you know the armed citizen. who's a great article about mm-hmm. when armed citizens do the right thing and do good things. Uh, we've and seen- speaking of the armed citizen, Jason, uh, uh, Jeff Jones was speaking about um, self-defence, and at 22 minutes, yep, 
Um, he says the double SAA constitution does not cover the use of firearms for self-defense. My obvious question is, why not? <laughs> I mean, why not? That's that's the reason a firearm was invented I, I, for you know, self-defense. I, I've I mean, said this before. As you said in the interview, I cannot believe that the largest um, mm. sporting shooters organisation in Australia uh, and with the membership base they have doesn't have a constitution or, mm. or, or a um, what would you call it a interest, well, uh, you know, a yeah. direction, a direction, exactly. Um, policy, you know, policy, whatever you yes. want to call it in regards to self-defense. I mean, last time I checked, I mean, as you guys know, I love hunting. I love clay target shooting, pistols, the whole lot, mm. as does Muzz. Um, and, you know, I just can't believe that a firearm, a firearm wasn't developed to punch paper. It wasn't no. developed uh, to go hunting. Whilst no. they're great uses of a firearm and gives us multiple use, definitely not the reason for the invention of the firearm. Well, so. Correct. Anyway, sorry, must go on. Yeah, well, he basically says that um, he quoted. He was quoted saying, "It's not that we are against it or for it." That's what Jeff Shane says. So it's not that we're against it or for it. Well, then my, my natural response to that would be, "Well, okay, if you're not against it or for it, why don't you include it in the constitution? And let the members decide." Yeah, I yeah. mean, if they want a firearm for self-defense, I mean, it'll be their choice anyway. And um, I just think it's really. Double uh, SAA should really uh, embrace this because uh, self defense is a basic human right, Jason. Yeah. I mean, and if you had that right. self defense, even as a genuine reason, you could run courses yeah. uh, for self defense. You know what I mean? They would just bring in more members. I, I mean, mean, they could just branch out in so many different fields. But I just think um, the opportunities at the at the moment are being lost. Yeah. Mm. And now, at twenty four uh, minutes, he's con- uh, considering that we have no legis- legislative rights. Like the Second Amendment, he says, we have done pretty well. Well, mm-hmm. fair enough. I, I, how well? I, how well, well would you put it? <laughs> I don't know. Well, have a look at New Zealand. They've got no Second Amendment rights. Um, you know, and and uh, there seem, doesn't seem to be that much of a problem with firearm laws in New Zealand. What um, do you mean we've done well? I mean, I mean, I, since nineteen ninety six, mm. I would say we've we've not done well. Well, no, um, we've all, we've gone downhill pretty much since ninety six. But. Um, uh, but that comes to the, the point that I wanted to make, Jason. I mean, you don't need a legislative right like the Second Amendment to have good firearm laws. I mean, you don't. You just need an effective lobby group. You, you need to rally the, rally your troops, rally your members, uh, and uh, get them to lobby politicians. And in the same hand, uh, you need to be affiliated with a political party. And a double SWA national should, in my opinion, uh, be affiliated with a major political party. There should be a major political party donor. Um, you know, you, you don't need the Second Amendment to have gun rights. So we had gun rights before '96, and we had no Second Amendment. Yep. So yep. you know, that's the thing. Um, at 26 minutes, he says that we are uh, living in a nanny state, and it seems to be getting worse by the day. Yes, I agree. And I'm not quite sure how to change that. He says, and I'm instantly shaking my hand, thinking, "What? You're not quite sure? Mm. I mean, you're the double SAA national president." You know, like you, you, you've got you've got power to be able to do something. He says, "I'm not trying to uh, uh, cop out on self-defense, but it may be for another organisation to take that issue forward." And I'm thinking, what other organisation is going to take it yeah, forward? The double, the double SAA <laughs> are the biggest. Uh, you know, uh, 
the, the biggest organization in the country. I mean, yeah. why can't they take it forward? But anyway. And isn't isn't that, I mean, when you hear that, I mean, I was, I mean, again, I've got respect for Jeff. I just yeah. think that you know, what other organization is there that has 160,000 members? I mean, I know, um, you know Shooters Union are doing a great job there championing the effort but as no well. But no one's got anywhere close that members. I mean, not yeah. even a quarter yeah, I know. Of, of what the SSAA have. So, and, uh, I mean, legislators are more likely to listen to organizations that have got more members. Yeah. It's obvious. So, 28 minutes, he thinks that it's absolutely disgraceful that women cannot do anything to defend themselves. Uh, okay, so this is not, a, not, a, not a, to be honest, you know. Hang on, but didn't, didn't he just say there was other organizations that can champion, you know, things like self-defense? Yeah, well, I mean, he thinks it's disgraceful that women cannot do anything to defend themselves, and I'm sure most of us think the same as well. Uh, but then he says, no, it's for another organization to champion self-defense. I mean, again, doesn't want to do anything about it. Okay, 29 minutes, Senate inquiry. 380-plus pro-gun submissions and only 20 against, uh, which is great. So that he told us uh, what the official figures were. So it was only 20 anti-gun submissions during a Senate inquiry. But as, as I said before, Jason, 380 um, pro-gun Senate inquiry letters, it's just simply not enough for a nation of almost <laughs> 800,000. 800, this, this is a federal inquiry, right? Yeah. Okay. Now... We had 380 out of 750,000 well, yeah. people. 750,000 I mean, people when we couldn't crack a 1,000. You know. Amazing. Uh, we, Terrible. We, we couldn't even crack. I mean, the, if the antis can't even ca- uh, you know, do yeah. 20, and we did 380, which is, I guess, great in the grand scheme of how many anti-hunting well, and anti-shooting yeah. and anti-firearm ones there were. But, I mean, you know, that's pathetic, really, isn't it? It's embarrassing. It, I was it, one of those it, people it that put it in. It is quite embarrassing, but it kind of reflects our leadership too, Jason, the leadership of uh, pro-gun organisations. Uh, like the SSAA, people just shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know, it's not up to me. But, well, uh, I, get you know, ma- I get made to join the club. What else well, am I supposed to do? Yeah, well, you know. And uh, 380 submissions uh, out of, you know, 750,000. I mean, really. I mean, we should be at least aiming for 1%, 1% of our membership base to be actually actively getting off their backsides and doing something. Even then, 380 is not even 1%. I mean, not even close to 1%. <sighs> How okay, do we... Anyway, go on. Let's get on. <laughs> 31, at 31, he says, uh, he has seen some um, uh, less desirable elements of the shooting community lobby on our behalf. Um, well, I did, didn't really understand what he meant by that. Less desirable uh, elements of the shooting. I think community. he meant like not as in on behalf of double SAA, yeah. but I think on behalf of the shooting community. That's how right. I took it, possibly. So I'm not exactly sure. I don't want to preempt what you know what yeah. he meant. But um, what's the next one? What's uh... this is a very important point he made, and I absolutely agree with him. And this is probably the most important point I think of the of the whole interview. He says, sometimes the truth just isn't enough. And that is absolutely true uh, when it comes to the media. I mean, you can have all the facts and figures behind you. But uh, the emotive side of it, the left-wing corrupt media push forward, is um, is just, you know, sometimes overwhelming. And uh, what do you think? Do you think that's a pretty pretty accurate statement, Jason? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the truth. We know. I mean, again, you'll hear this when I question um, Bridget McKenzie coming up on that interview. 
um, you know, we agree that we, we need to get rid of red tape, yet the mm. National Firearms Agreement is just fraught with red tape. Uh, you know, I can't own an AR-15, yet I can own a 10-shot, you know, pump-action 308. I can yeah. own a, um, what's, what, are they, what are the lever-action shotguns, like yeah, 88, AIC. 8, AIC 1887 or whatever they are. Yeah. I mean, the four, five, six-shot, what are they? You know, one mm. on the carrier even, you can get an extra one on there. I can own a little pump 22, but you know what? I can't own a uh, two-shot semi-automatic or a three-shot or a five-shot semi-automatic yeah. or a five-shot pump-action, manual pump-action. I mean, astronomical, so I'm not sure, but, you know. At 32 minutes, he speaks about the criticism the SSAA receives. Um, It's nasty and it's futile, he says, and it helps our opponents. Uh, He's speaking of friendly fire within the shooting community here and overseas. I'm not sure what type of friendly fire he's talking about. Obviously, friendly fire is, I guess, I mean... People that are critical of the organisation, but but I guess my point would be, if people are critical of the organisation, how about taking on some of that advice on board? Because I think if people work through the criticism, they will see that this is actually maybe, in some situations, not all, Mm. positive feedback. If you get through the, the angst... There's a good, mm. there's a, probably a good message there. And that message is, listen, we want you to go in this direction. You're not doing that. And there's yeah. a lot of people. And people say, well, we're getting a lot of criticism. Well, start acting. Yeah, Start exactly. doing and what people want. And I just don't agree, want. I don't agree with what he says here. Uh, he says it helps our opponents. I mean, how does me telling the SSAA, for example, that, hey, guys, you should be doing more. How does that help our opponents? Yeah, but I, I think mean, it it's the way, you know, I mean, I've read certain forums and some of the stuff people say about the double SSAA, frankly, I don't I don't think it does help either. Um, it doesn't mm. definitely, uh, the way people do Oh, there, the there definitely are it, nasty comments out there. Yeah, the way people do it. Yeah. Um, if I'm talking, if people have got honest criticism and honest feedback, I don't know why the double SSAA aren't taking that on board. And they, they I don't know, anti-gunners mm. criticise the NRA yeah. and I rarely see any firearms uh, people um, hassling out the NRA. There but, are probably some, but I just never hear about it because yeah. they're doing what everyone, they're doing what the people want, self-defense, mm. hunting, oh, yeah. shooting, they cover targets. They cover everything. It cover, cover everything. I mean, they, they, you know, they're certainly not going to uh, say, oh, yeah, we'll cover this, oh, but no, we're not, we're not too you know, fond of that. Um, but, yeah, so like, um, all right, so, uh, of course, Jason, also some of those nasty comments too. I mean, some people are just really frustrated. Yeah, true. That nothing's happening and then the frustration turns nasty. But obviously they shouldn't. At 36 minutes, he says the federal agency seems to have a, a set agenda or the agenda is uh, set for them and customs um, custom guys took a hammering in, uh, to the in, into the inquiry, Jason, the Senate inquiry, the customs yep. guys. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, they did because uh, federal agencies, they just, you know, they're, they're full, full of anti-gunners. Um, at 38 minutes, he speaks of the Link Cafe siege and how the example, how the example of government departments getting it wrong with the PM telling everyone that the murderer had a gun license. Yeah, it's indic- indicative of how government departments do things. He says. Uh, he then goes on to say that um, uh, we are incensed, incensed, and and we are constantly trying to push back. But then he talks about how it's their game and we are trying to play the game by their rules that they set. And it's mostly driven by ideology. Now, okay, fair enough. Um, but, you know, if, if, you, if you're that incensed and you're trying to push back, I mean, like, let's see some actual pushing back. Let's see some, uh, you know, heavy political lobbying. and I feel. Let's see some uh, political donations. Let's, let's, let's do everything we can to get all the politicians on side. 
But I feel like the the Sporting Shooters Association. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I'm just 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 my opinion is that like they don't want to offend the government. We don't want to upset the government. We, yeah. If we say something too extreme, well, they're not going to take us seriously. Yeah. We're not going to be on the the boards. We're not going to be on you know their phone call list, their speed dial list when they need you know an opinion piece for the for the newspaper or you know I mean why do we want that? I mean do you think mm. the NRA cares that um, say you know uh, Sky News or anyone in particular or NBC or whatever wants to call them up you know yeah. to find out. You know, they think they care. They don't well, care. They no, make it where NRA it counts. One hundred percent unapologetic uh, of uh, of their rights. But you know, I see this also as a bit of a problem too, Jason, because um, you've got a lot of apathetic uh, shooters out there, a lot of apathetic members of the SSAA. And if all of a sudden the SSAA went hardcore. I mean, I guess they get complaints from the apathetic shooters, right? Yeah. You've never so, said this before. <laughs> I know. So, so I think it's a bit of a what um, happened. It's a bit of a juggling act. I think the WSWA first of all need to bring their members on on board, and I think they need to rally their members. They need to let the members know, okay, we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to move forward with this agenda. Um, we want to get our rights back, and so on. And if they can get the members on board, then it'll be much easier uh, to go after the politicians. That 40 minutes, he says, um, okay, after talking about <clears throat> the um, many uh, grey market guns, it's not the ones we know about. It's the ones that are, uh, it's not the ones that we know about that are the problem. Uh, well, <laughs> um, well, it's the ones we, we, we don't know about that are the problem, but you know, we don't How know do we about track them. them. How, How do we track them? them? You, can't, yeah. you can't track them. So, you know. Uh, we've discussed that many times before. So do you think there's always say about the grey market? Some people say the grey market doesn't exist, but I mean those firearms may be, which yes, whilst they may be illegal, yeah, it's um, you know young Johnny. He's 35 years old. Yeah. His grandpa, you know, handed him down a firearm in 1996. It's maybe you know sitting up in his attic, or it's sitting up in the in, in the roof or in the wall. Um, you know, I mean, do we need to? I mean, yeah, those firearms can be stolen, but those are the firearms that we really need to be worrying about. That no. you know have been sitting in the wall for twenty years because they were an heirloom. You know, Jason, I predict down. that in one hundred and fifty years' time, there'll still be guns in the grey market. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the lifespan of a firearm is pretty long, and some of them are well, if they're well kept, they can last for a long time. Yep. Uh, at forty-three minutes, he says that uh, we've not been too focused on on uh, getting our semi-autos back because we've been fighting to keep what we've got. Well, I mean, my natural response to that would be, I mean, the best form of defense is a good, strong offense. Yeah. I mean, you got to you got to keep fighting to get your to get your rights back. That's how you that's how you defend what you got. I mean, that's how the NRA do it, and they've been very successful. At forty five minutes, some of the people he says um, of those people who are frightened of the dark are in positions of power and influence. Uh, correct. Uh, so he wants to he says, speaks about prioritizing our battles. And I agree with that. I mean, like, there's a lot of politicians out there that are, you know, uh, all they, they really they really do feed the media, and um, they they're not too, um, I guess, not too eager to jump into uh, areas of gun laws. At 51 minutes, he says, the stronger we become, the more politicians have to recognise us, and I agree with that. Okay, but we already are we're very strong. I think we we already are the biggest lobby group in the country. We just um, I guess we just need strong leadership. At 52 minutes, he speaks about the uh, situation in Queensland and um, how we need to become a stronger force to be reckoned with. And yes, I agree. I mean, he says a lot of good stuff, but you know, it just seems like saying it. But we need action. Yeah, we we need some more action. action. And and there there is probably action in in the Mm. background, but that action needs to be, uh, I guess, uh, brought to the foreground and, and mentioned to the. 
members. So I think you're right. I think he's saying all the right things, yeah. which I, I think is great. But when actually when I sent this interview to Muzz uh, before I, I actually released it, and um, you know he rang me back and he goes, "Oh, I've got all this list, and you know I should have said this, I should have said that. Why didn't I ask him about this when he said this?" And you know he's probably right because a lot of the stuff we said or, or during the show um, I agreed with, but then I wasn't realizing. Well, then okay, we agree with it. So what are we actively doing? to push that agenda and to get those rights back, like self-defense. I mean, he agrees with me on registration, but mm. I've read the magazine. Uh, I'm a SSAA member, and I've heard absolutely nothing about about registration for God knows the yeah, last time no, I can I, remember. Never. I can't remember. I, I can't remember. Maybe there is. Perhaps you guys, you, you guys can point me to a specific uh, magazine number uh, that has those details in it. I don't know which one it is. So, Mars, did he um, say anything else uh, towards you? Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. We've got, uh, yeah, I've got uh, plenty more here, JC. I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a lot to uh, um, discuss. Uh, at 56, he speaks about SSAA, and he speaks very passionately, passionately about this, being uh, very big with junior programs. And, uh, but... When asked about airsoft, he's got no opinion on airsoft. I mean, airsoft is really a, just a junior sport, you know, like a lot of uh, 18 to 21-year-olds overseas play airsoft. And, um, you know, and I don't what, know why they wouldn't why? be pushing airsoft because, I mean, at the end of the day, there's money in it for more members for the SSAA. Exactly. So there's, there's a benefit there to endorse yeah. uh, that. Again, like we said with self-defense before, if we get that, again, there's just more members in it for the Sporting Shooters yeah, Association. Absolutely. I mean, um, for those of you not familiar, uh, the reason why we basically don't have airsoft um, in this country is because airsoft are replica firearms. And uh, basically, um, they are Category D uh, firearms uh, under under laws. They're, they're recognized as Category D firearms as a replica military-style uh, firearm, even though Amazing. they're not lethal, even though they're not lethal at all. Uh, I've never heard of anyone being killed by an airsoft gun, Jason. No. Um, but but it is a fantastic sport uh, overseas. And uh, New Zealand, Canada, USA, even UK, they play it. Uh, and I just think uh, if I'm um, a member of the SSAA board, I would be discussing airsoft and what we can do to legalise it in the country. Because if you can uh, legalise it under licence and you need to be licensed and member of a club, um, then, I mean, naturally that would increase memberships. Don't you think, Chase? Well, yeah, mate. Okay, Absolutely. 57 minutes, he says, we've got to be careful about having unrealistic expectations. Right, okay, but um, what are unrealistic expectations? I mean, what is he trying to say here? That, um, oh, you know, don't hope for too much because we won't get it. I mean, but we're not even trying to get it. That's yep, my point. How do you point. know? How do you know we're not going to get something if you're not trying to get something? And I always say, if you're just trying to hold on to something, you'll inevitably lose it. As I said, I'm happy to push hard and forward, you know, and maybe negotiate somewhere in between. But at the moment, if we're just going to keep trying to hold on, we're just going to keep losing stuff like we already do. You know, the ammo bill, yep. uh, more hunting restrictions, you name it. Here we go. He says at 57 minutes, he says, "It's not about the truth. It's not about who is right or wrong. It's about politics." I agree, 100%. But if that is the case, then why is there so little politics in the SSAA mag? That's my, that's my question. I mean, there's very little politics. They, 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 I mean, there's, it's almost non-existent. 
And uh, yes, absolutely, Jeff Jones. They did do right. a little bit, you know, prior to was it the monthly New South Wales news? Let's hear in New South Wales, guys. I mean, mm. um, they did you know, do a write up on what outdoor recreation party, the na- uh, the Nationals, I think, uh, the the Liberal Dem- or, uh, sorry, outdoor recreation party, shooters and fishers, uh, and the Nationals, uh, I think, and the and the Liberal Party. Yep. Yep. Well, that's right. That they did, but um, but look, it, uh, it just doesn't seem to be enough. I think. Uh, but you know what, Jason? On a positive note, I think overall, some of the things that we've been hearing on the news recently, uh, and especially this big win with the Senate inquiry, I think that's a massive win. Um, it's. I think it's turning turning the tables. We we've got a lot of uh, things going on in the media in terms of, especially women, Jace. Women. A lot of women are getting into uh, yep, hunting. Yep. Which is great, and then he goes on at um, at one hour and one minute. He says that we don't want to hunt native wildlife. Our role is to hunt the ferals and predators. <clears throat> and I just wrong think, answer. And I just think, why don't you want to hunt the, to hunt the native? Why not? I mean, why why can't we hunt kangaroos? Why yep. not? There's there's more kangaroos than it's people. Our national emblem. I mean, God yeah, forbid. it might be a national emblem, but you can buy it at Coles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you can point. buy kangaroo steaks at Coles. We, we, we yeah? see them down in Canberra, aren't they? Trying to, they've got a cull going on down yeah. in Canberra, and all the greenies are trying to jump in front. And of, I just think, you know, yeah, I mean, and, I mean, things like like for example, Jason Brumbies. Yeah. Right. I mean, Brumbies absolutely right for those of those of you that hunt down south. Uh, of New South Wales and you know especially um, down Snowies, then you, you guys know well how much damage the Brumbies do to uh, the national parks and that. And I just see absolutely no reason why can't we have a tag system to hunt Brumbies? Why can't we hunt kangaroos under a tag system? Like mm. you know you, you you order your tags, you can get say five tags a year or whatever, and uh, and then once you fulfil your tags, you you return them. And then uh, at least that way, keep thinking, that way they can do scientific studies. It's the man from Snowy River. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, why, why can't you the do that? Brumbies. It just doesn't make sense. But, you know, it's okay, Jason, to hire government contractors and oh. go out and shoot 600 Brumbies no, no, and just no, leave you, them dead see, out there in the on. middle. That's okay. Like, it's like when but, they do but goat Don't cull. you dare hunt the Brumby. <laughs> yeah. It's like when they do a goat cull, the professionals spend, like, what was it, 45000 oh, to shoot six goats. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's pathetic. It's unbelievable. Keep going, Muzz. Okay, so I got one or two... He speaks about professional common, a professional common sense approach to win over the middle of the road people who don't really have an opinion either way. Agreed. But okay. even but hang on, I disagree with that. And for the yeah. fact is, if they, if they don't really care, why would they care? If they're in the middle of the road and they don't care either way, why are we trying to win over people that don't really care and don't give a damn at the end of the day anyway? Well, I think uh, when it comes to general public opinion, uh, if you present facts and figures that the average person who, say, for example, is not really fussed with hunting either way, that they don't have no opinion of it, but if you give them the, the proper facts and figures, they can say, oh, well, you know, at least it, uh, what they're saying seems like it's right, so I don't see why we should ban it, or I don't see why we should restrict it. The average person out there will pretty much be batting on your side. Yeah, but everyone's been listening to that goose, Ricky Gervais, whatever his name is. Ricky Gervais. Or yeah. Gervais, Gervais, yeah. whatever you call his name, you know, saying... You know, hunters are dickheads, and you know why would they kill this? Oh, and yeah, you know, these all, social media freaks, but, these social yeah. media freaks are just lapping it up. And I'm like, yeah, social media. I mean, is that, is that real life? Or I mm. mean, you know, I see it on Facebook all the time. There's so many lefties on Facebook; it's unbelievable. And guys, before I was 18, or as I was 18, before I got into shooting and stuff like that, I mean, my parents. I come from Western Sydney, staunch Labor supporters. I voted Labor. My brother still does. Mm. I think his wife still does, and 
I've actually turned away from that sort of thing and, and, and more uh, gone the opposite way. Um, you know, that's, mm. I mean, I'm kind of mixed. If there was no shooting parties, I mean, I like a few of the liberal policies, even though you guys know I'd never vote for them because mm. of their gun uh, issues. But I also like, you know, labour on some work-orientated stuff, mm. um, which, you know, is what I like. But then again, you know, some of the things I just don't like, so I'm, <laughs> I don't think I could vote for them anyway, even if I wasn't uh, in shooting. Keep going, Muzz. What uh, yep. else, Jeff? So Okay, now this is a big one. This is a really big one. Okay. At 104, he agrees that it would be better to have a unifying ideology and a unifying approach. Yes, I agree. My obvious question is, why aren't we doing it, Jeff? <laughs> you're, you're the national president. I mean, why aren't you taking steps to have a unifying approach? And this is the other problem, too, I have with his statement. Because then only three minutes later, at 107, he says, he speaks about the national that national has no authority to tell the states what to do and what direction to take, and that he supports that. Okay, so if you want to have a, nas- a unifying approach, how are you going to have a unifying approach if when you support you, individuality? If you support the states going their own way, I mean, it's just doesn't make sense. It does doesn't it? make sense. I mean, if I if you're the president of an organisation, you don't want middle management, uh, you know, president of a uh, corporation or CEO of a corporation. You don't want all of a sudden middle management start to do their own thing and ignoring the instructions from the top. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. It just doesn't exactly. work. The corporation doesn't work. So uh, I just don't understand what he's saying here. So, I mean, if he really does agree, it's better to have a unifying ideology and unifying approach. Well, let's do it, Jeff. You're the president. And at 106, he also says the July National Forum, there will be a July National Forum, WSWA Forum, to discuss these issues of uh, unifying. Well, okay, let's hopefully there will be something positive coming out of that forum jason i'm really eager to hear the results of that uh at 108 it says a number of states are bordering on being recalcitrant regard regardless of the facts and figures they just want to do things their way and my obvious question is obviously jeff because you support them being independent i mean (laughs) really i just think that wsla should have a unifying ideology a unifying direction that start, flow, starts from the top and flows all the way down to the states. And, I mean, any uh, board members of other state organisations, I mean, if they're not following the direction, then I think the nationals, the national uh, um, board should have the right to sack them for the, you know, for, you know for, to, to, uh, to be able to get the better, best outcomes for their members. I yep. mean, you, you need people furthering our, our cause. I mean, not, not, you know, doing damage to it. Anyway, at the 111, he's... Um, he gives Senator Lionhelm full credit for taking the initiative on the Malabar Range. Uh, Malabar Range, and I'm, I really don't know uh, why, because I think the deal on the Malabar Range, uh, it's not finished, it's not fully complete yet, um, and I think $15 million to take us out of Malabar, I think, is just not enough, Jason. It's just not enough money. Not for a piece of real estate like that that's worth potentially a yeah. billion dollars. That's one thing we probably have been. I mean, it's better than getting zero and being yeah. absolutely just kicked off Malabar altogether. Um, but I mean, fifteen million dollars to buy. You know, I think Malabar. How far can you shoot at Malabar? Thousand meters, I think. I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, eight hundred meters or something like that. Yeah, that's correct us if we're wrong, guys. Because I've actually never mm. been there. But in saying that, I mean to get that sort of range. Uh, on, a, on a on a piece of land out here in say Western Sydney where they want to move it or Cecil Park, we just won't be having that kind of uh, range access. Um, and trying to buy land that would be that big, I mean, would just 
Yeah, just be, yep. you know, going to cost a lot more than fifteen million dollars. Going to cost fifteen million dollars probably just for the, uh, you know, the fit outs of those particular ranges, let alone buying land. Mm. Anything else to finish off, Mars, with the? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's just a couple more things, Jace. Almost done. Okay, so um, he agrees that members need to be more active and write to their politicians, and he speaks passion- passionately about this. And I'm thinking, yes, I agree, Jeff. You're absolutely right. But um, what has the SSAA done to um, inspire their members to, to write to their politicians? I mean, in a, in a magazine that comes out all the time, there's nothing but just, I guess, you know, apathetic articles. Seeing that they can be, mm. um, people are wanting the mm. SSAA to be like this. Yeah. You know, they're yearning for an organisation um, to take control, yeah. to put their rights out there. And when, so when they get people get criticism, perhaps there's a, a lesson to be learned, you know, in what people are saying. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he says that uh, that we don't, again, he, uh, we speak about Airsoft at 117. He says he doesn't have an opinion on Airsoft. It's not something that's high on the agenda. It's not something that has been brought to us. And I find that very surprising. And I'm pretty sure that there be a lot of young shooters out there that have uh, definitely voiced their opinions to SSAA about airsoft. Uh, we don't, he says, we don't see airsoft as a major issue. Well, I wouldn't see it as a major issue either because it's non-existent. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's non-existent in Australia. So, I mean, of course, it's not a major issue. And then he speaks about how big airsoft is in Japan and all over Asia. Well, yeah, okay, it's great. It's big in Asia, but, you know. Not big here. But not big here. <laughs> we're, we're part of Asia. Um, at Mate. 120, he says, legislators are more frightened of the media than us. And that's correct, Jason. I agree with him 100% on this one. Uh, you know, the media can be savage. They can be savage. And politicians are very, very scared of the media. So whenever you talk about firearms and actually watering down or changing the firearm laws, the media attack you like pack dogs. And I think that's what frightens politicians more than anything else. Um, at 124, he speaks that as a total group, we are not as passionate as the Americans. Yes, I agree. But why not? I mean, have a look at the language being used in magazines like America's First Freedom, for example, Jason. They mm. just invoke passion. I mean, the when NRA, you, read, you know, when I when I finish reading that magazine, I just think, oh yes, yeah, yes, exactly. I feel like I want to start writing to my. You really feel empowered. Yeah, exactly. fantastic. You know, and this is the problem. I mean, he says we're not as passionate as Americans. Well, I mean, you, why not you know, though? Exactly. We're I not, mean, we're not the, promoting the magazine, passion. No, we're not promoting it. I mean, especially the double SWA. This is my biggest criticism of them. Okay, and and it doesn't involve speaking to the politicians. It doesn't involve lobbying the politicians. It doesn't involve uh, doing all these hard yards. It just involves speaking to your constituency, your voters. I mean, not your voters, um, your members. Yeah. Okay, so your members, you have, to, you have to create passion. You have to invoke passion in your members so that they will be, uh, I guess, passionate about their rights and, and gun ownership and be passionate about writing to politicians. Uh, so yeah, so we've got a long. He says long, we've got a long tradition of gun ownership in Australia, from the early explorers to till today. Yes, we do, and uh, we're very proud of it. So, look, Jason, um, that's pretty much my wrap up of the Jeff Jones's interview. And I'm sorry, I know it's a big wrap up, but there was a lot of things there to discuss. And overall, um, great interview, but really, uh, the entire interview, Jason, left a lot more questions than than answers. So um, I'm hoping that we can get a second interview sometime in the future with Jeff Jones and see how things are going, see if there's any uh, action being uh, put towards some of the things that he was saying. That would be interesting to see, Jace. 
All right, guys. What I want to talk about here is uh, news, ABC, actually, .net.au. This is Friday, the 8th of May, uh, hang on, 2015. Uh, this one is Bronzewing. We all know we've I've actually shot clay targets. I'm not sure if Muzz knows this one, but Bronzewing Ammunition. Uh, generally, both, I think, put a, a really uh, competitive uh, shotgunning uh, ammunition uh, product to the market. And, Aussie uh, product? Yeah, it was a good Aussie product, a reasonably priced for clay target shooters. And it says, Bronzewing Ammunition Factory to remain closed after work cover court win. And it says, that, uh, a court has upheld a work cover's decision to shut down Australia's biggest ammunition factory after explosives were found stored in an unlicensed warehouse. I mean, listen, you know, heaven forbid a little bit. I mean, no one was injured. Yeah, okay, they, you know, you know, they didn't, you know, they should have done what they should have done. They shouldn't have had it in a warehouse, mm. but victimless crime, nothing happened, you know, uh, it should have been maybe a slap on the wrist. Don't do this again. Next time, you'll be a more severe penalty. Yeah. And it says the Bronzewing Ammunition Factory at Yanda in New South Wales River region, Riverina region has been producing 20 million shotgun cartridges per year. Uh, a tribunal said its view that Mr. Boyle was no longer a fit and proper person to hold or continue to hold uh, the security license. The judgment cited the events that led to the arrest of Casella on charges related to storing five tons of ammunition and 86 kilograms of explosive propellant in a shed on the Yenda property rather than at the Bronzewind factory. Mm. I mean, heaven forbid. Casella is a member of the Casella Wines family, which produces the popular uh, Yellowtail brand of wine set up in the factory but has since sold it. Yesterday, Casella pleaded guilty to handling an explosive precursor without a license and failing to comply with prescribed standards of codes. Uh, two other charges were withdrawn and one remains unheard, uh, with the case being adjourned until June. So, I mean, again, you know, you, guys, you've got to do the right thing. They, yeah. sh- they should have stored them correctly. Yeah. I think it's a little bit overboard, to be honest. I mean, you know, it's, you know, how about you know working through the issues, uh, maybe putting some sanctions there um, that they've got to you know put yeah. uh, do a certain thing for the next twelve exactly. months, two years, and then readdress so, it at so a later can, date, so they can continue to operate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and supply the uh, you know the, the the shotgunning market because they did bring a fairly what I thought was a fairly good product, reasonably priced, uh, competitive with other manufacturers, and it was a pretty good product. Now going to be shut down because well. They stored some stuff at a at a, at a different factory yeah. than they maybe had on their license. I mean, oh, well, man. you know what it's like in this country, Jason. Anything firearms related, um, if you're not following the law, you're pretty much going to get slammed uh, because yeah. the government. One of the things, uh, like uh, like we mentioned before, um, the government are frightened of the media, so they don't want any negative media regarding the firearms. And yeah. uh, shut them down. Be, yeah, shut them down. They're always going to be tough on firearms, whether it be a factory making ammo or whether it be you going out duck shooting. And leaving a uh, accidentally leaving a bullet inside the yeah. <laughs> inside the or, bloody dory you know, car, a shotgun shot that rolled underneath the, uh, yeah. the front driver's seat. I mean, it, heaven forbid you're you're a criminal. Got to you know, give us your firearms. Got to seize but, those but, firearms. But you know what, Jason? In saying that, I mean, very, a lot of police are very reasonable. Um, and if you just cooperate with what they say, they usually are. Uh, can see that you really have no ill intentions if you've made just an honest mistake, like dropping a bullet inside your car or something like that. Um, but um, yeah, Jason. Um, uh, let's go on to the next news story. Before we get into the next article, we're going to go to a break and we'll be right back with Jason and Mars on the Straight Shooting Podcast. Do you hunt deer and want to learn the correct techniques for a quality wall mount and premium eating venison? 
SSSIA Sydney branch provides hunter education courses to help you become a better hunter and to utilise harvested game in the most effective way possible. Course content includes gunning, butchering and caping from experienced hands-on instructors using locally harvested deer. There is no gear required and also includes a barbecue lunch. Courses are held every first Sunday of each month with an 8am sign-in for a 9am start. Course running time is approximately 6 hours and the venue is Silverdale Rifle Range. Cost is $50 per person so call Andy Mallon at Silverdale Rifle Range on 02-4653-1440 or visit ssaasydney.net. For everything Bushnell, go to Red Fox Outdoor Supplies online store. For a full range of Bushnell rifle scopes, rangefinders, binoculars, night vision, spotting scopes and Hoppies gun cleaning products. Red Fox are also major online retailers for the popular Aussie Maxbox brand and the rest of the innovative products distributed by Eagle Eye Hunting Gear. All at Red Fox Outdoor Supplies. So go to the website redfoxoutdoorsupplies.com.au or phone Greg on 0412-495-712. The Sporting Shooters Association of Australia proudly presents the largest event for the sport shooting industry right here in Melbourne, the SSAA Shot Expo, May the 23rd and 24th. For the true enthusiast, the SSAA Shot Expo showcases the professionalism and commitment to safety of sport shooting in Australia. Safety and training demos, ethical hunting and conservation, outdoor and camping, archery, it's all on show. The SSAA Shot Expo, Melbourne Showgrounds, May the 23rd and 24th. Pay on the day or go to shotexpo.com.au for sponsors, exhibitors and online bookings. Okay, this one comes from the Tasmanian Examiner. Uh, This is a story from April 22nd uh, by Daniel McCulloch. A while ago, but it's been a while since we've done the show, so we've got a couple of new stories here. Okay, it's uh, MLC shoots down firearm laws. That's the headline. Compulsory jail terms for people caught with stolen firearms could be scrapped in a push by Western Tears Independent MLC Greg Hall. Uh, The state government is proposing sweeping reforms uh, to the state's firearm laws, including mandatory three-month jail terms for people found in possession of stolen guns. Police Minister Rene Hitting... Uh, has described the proliferation of stolen guns as a deadly serious issue for Tasmania, arguing minimum sanctions uh, coupled with uh, stricter storage requirements would reduce the rate of thefts. Okay, MLCs yesterday received briefings on the proposed changes before launching into a debate last night. Mr Hall emerged from the briefings determined to see the mandatory sanctions squashed despite supporting minimum jail time for serious assault on police. He said mandatory sanctions weren't needed for possession uh, possessing stolen firearms, and he would instead push for a tough maximum penalty. Uh, under his changes, first-time offenders with clean records caught with one gun would face up to five years in prison. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they'll get five years, but uh, up to five years in prison. Uh, while those known to police found with multiple firearms could spend up to 21 years in bars behind bars, these penalties would provide big stick. Provide a big stick. Sorry, that we need without stripping away the discretion of the courts, he said. Attorney General Vanessa Goodwin last night told MLC that mandatory sentences were strongly deterred those considering becoming involved in the stolen gun trade, but would not rule out dropping the measures. We won't preempt the outcome of the debate in the Legislative Council, and we look forward to members' contribution, a spokesman for Dr. Goodwin said. So the Tasmanian Law Society, Jason President Matthew Varney, staunchly opposes the minimum uh, sanctions. Mandatory sentencing generates unjust 
outcomes and disproportionate penalties, he says. It's been tried elsewhere and there is no evidence uh, from any of those jurisdictions to suggest that it is successful in reducing criminal offending. Jason, mandatory uh, minimum sentences for stolen firearms. What's your opinion on that, mate? Yeah, I think so. Why not? You think so? No, I, no. I don't. I don't agree. No, I don't agree because uh, stealing. If someone, if someone's stealing my firearms, yep. again, that's malicious intent. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, if if I drop them off the back of a truck, uh, yep. or they fell out of my car by yep. accident, well, you know what can you do? But if someone has physically gone with intention to steal. Uh, my hard-earned property, mm. uh, there should be uh, you know sanctions in place for that. Uh, if that means a mandatory prison sentence, well, so be it. I'm just, uh, in general, just very wary. Uh, okay, why wouldn't you agree with it then? Give me, give me okay, your perspective. Okay. I'm very wary of firearm laws that are supposed to be directed at criminals because quite often they are directed at... <laughs> Good point. Uh, you know, law, law-abiding usually law-abiding firearm owners, and may, some may think it's unintentional. Sometimes it can be like a, a I guess, a backdoor law to to sting us in some way. So I, um, as a, I guess, a default position, uh, never like any more firearm laws, whether it be for uh, law-abiding or the criminals, because. At the end of the day, the law-abiding usually the ones end up suffering for Are it. you saying enforce the ones that are in place? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, enforce the ones that are in place. I mean, we, we just don't need any more gun laws, Jason. We've, we've had, since 96, we've had just years and years of gun laws. And, um, and well, what has it achieved, really? What has it achieved? So we just don't need any more gun laws. And to be honest, like, I mean, shooting organizations like the WSAA and, you know, uh, parties like the uh, SFP, I mean, we shouldn't be getting involved in trying to get more sentences for these criminals. I mean, we should be just focusing on the law-abiding gun owners and getting our rights back rather yep. than concentrating on the criminals. Because the, if once you're a criminal, I mean, that's just up to the police then. You know, that's up to the police to prosecute you and, you know, the judges to sentence you correctly. If the judges aren't doing their job, well, then um, there's really not that much we can do about it. And... Um, like they said here, um, you know, that the mandatory sentencing generates unjust outcomes and disproportionate penalties. Yeah. And it is true. And uh, also, there, it's, it's been tried elsewhere, Jason, and it's not. There's no evidence anywhere um, that those jurisdictions are successful in reducing criminal offending. So if there's, if it's, we've got to try and get things from a scientific evidence-based approach. And if there's no evidence, well, then I'm sorry, I don't support it. Anyway, go ahead, Jay. So you've got, got a another good story there. Firearms lawyer. This is a guy on Facebook out of, out of WA. Um, very interesting stuff on his Facebook page. He posts a lot about uh, some of his clients. I uh, wanted to get Muzz's uh, consideration mm. on this one and thoughts on this. Lindsay Payne. Uh, so, so this is a firearms lawyer. Now, Lindsay Payne was obviously the client. Lindsay Payne, 68-year-old farmer of Ballsbrick, WA, uh, suffered injustice today in Midland Court. When one winter's morning last year at 4 a.m., he saw a car to his unoccupied neighbour's place, which he knew had been burgled before. He thought the same thing was happening again. So he got his old twenty two single-shot rifle <laughs> and from a place of about 300 metres away, pointed it away from the car and fired two shots in the air in the hope mm. that the offenders would go away. Right. As it turned out, the car was a police car with two policemen in it. Ouch. Mr. Payne was charged with possessing a weapon in circumstances likely to cause fear. The magistrate accepted that Mr. Payne fired both shots away from the police to the danger of no one, but yet he still found Mr. Payne guilty of the charge. 
I am firmly of the view that the guilty verdict is wrong. It suggests that every kangaroo shooter commits an offence every time he fires a shot that someone hears. Now Mr Payne is in a terrible situation of having to appeal to get justice. Uh, Channel 7 and 9 have the story uh, on TV tonight. And uh, you can go to firearmslawyer.net.au for Mm. any of our WA guys. And I'm actually going to try and contact this. I'm not sure of his actual name, the firearms lawyer, but I will uh, flick him an email uh, on Facebook and try and get him to come on on the show and discuss these things uh, that... that are happening, especially to people in WA. Um, what are your thoughts on that one? I mean, obviously, why would you run out at 3 a.m. Mm. Uh, trying to do the right thing? But, I mean, if it was away, how did the police know at the time? It was 300 metres away that, one, they were even pointing it in his direction because surely if you were driving in darkness with just your front headlights on at 4 a.m., one, why are the police there at 4 a.m. for a start? But even that's not the point. Yeah. Obviously, they wouldn't have seen anything. They just would have heard a bang and went, oh, what's going on here? He could have, why, didn't he, why didn't he just say maybe oh, I was shooting at, you know, I was shooting a couple of foxes down the back or something, you know? Yeah, well. I mean, I silly, mean, silly thing to do in it, general. It's a silly but, thing to do. I mean, really, you shouldn't be, you should not be um, uh, shooting your gun, gun at anyone, even if it's just a warning shot pointed away. Um, especially in Australia, I mean, <laughs> it's uh, it's against the law, and we certainly don't advocate anyone doing that. But in, in, yeah, I understand what their circumstances are, and it is extremely unfortunate. And to be honest, I think probably under our laws, he got off lightly, Jace. Mm. It is pretty silly. Now the next one, this one's a very interesting one. You'll laugh at this one. This is one literally hilarious. Uh, not not so hilarious mm. in a ha ha kind of way. Today, my client was in Perth court on a charge of exporting scopes, right? It's out of the country. Yes, yes. A bipod and a pair of scope rings, uh, all for which he was licensed guns overseas, uh, without the consent of the Commonwealth Minister of Defence to export a scope. I mean, are you serious? I've heard this story. The items were in his carry-on checked-in luggage. The Customs Department uh, accepted that my client took these things overseas for innocent sporting purposes, but they still prosecuted him in court to send a message to overseas travellers that they need to get a permit to take firearms accessories overseas. I mean, heaven forbid they're always trying to stop us getting firearms. Now we can't take him out of the country. I mean, go figure. Uh, Money seems to be no object for customs. Mm. They paid for two lawyers to argue their case. In customs prosecutions, the accused is always ordered to pay the legal costs of customs. In this case, they said that they had racked up over forty grand or $40,000 in legal fees. I was able to get that down to $15,000. Then there was the issue of the penalty. I argued that before the magistrate that he should be lenient with my client because no one knows that you cannot take these things out of the country. After all, you can import them into the country without a permit. And this information is not (laughs) on the customs website or on any signs at the airport. I also said that the facts of this case were trivial and that my client made no attempt to hide his actions. Mm. In fact, he declared the items at the GST refund office at the airport and put them through the security screen. Hardly the actions of a smuggler. The magistrate accepted my argument and went so far as to dismiss the charges and impose no fine. That means that my client keeps a clean record. The moral of the story is to make sure that you are very careful when you travel. Uh, innocuous things like slings, ammo stocks, uh, sorry, ammo socks for stocks, mm. uh, spotlights for ammo. guns and recall pads require a permit if you want to socks. take them out of the country. <laughs> You want to avoid. <laughs> you want to avoid it's arguments. It's incredible, eh, the story. <laughs> Hang on, let me finish. You want to avoid arguments with the customs department. They are like a pit bull on steroids. When they bite, it really hurts. I mean, seriously, oh. guns. This is 
absolutely preposterous, oh, disgusting. The most farcical thing farce, that you've heard what a farce. all year. And I mean, look, I'm, I'm a big fan of small government, but there is one government department that I will create, and that will be the Department of Common Sense. Yeah. To just handle <laughs> issues like this. I mean, you should be able to have the... <laughs> the Department of Common Sense's um, uh, phone number on your speed dial, on your phone, and whenever something stupid like this happens to you, you call them and there'll be a minister to just deal with it straight away and just get rid of these stupid laws. I mean, we buy scopes from overseas, probably thousands of them, Jason, around Australia every year. And no problems importing them into the country, but don't you dare take try and oh. take one out of the country. Oh, you, you'll be, we'll spend forty thousand dollars. <laughs> the feds will get you. Yeah, it's unbel- It's preposterous. It's just unbelievable. I'm just shaking my head listening to that. I mean, what is it? And also gun socks. Oh yeah, gun sock for <laughs> a gun stock. I know God gun for- sock. For yeah. a gun stock. God forbid you should take a gun, oh, no. gun sock out of the country. Oh. I mean, geez, you might be labelled a mass murderer. Heaven forbid. I guess I've got it's one crazy. more here. It is just crazy. I mean, that that's one for the Department of Common Sense. Uh, I've got one here, 9news.com.au, Victoria, 5.25pm, May 12, 2015. Now, it doesn't look like there's anyone's got a name on it who wrote this article. Uh, Vic, Vic oh, it means Victoria, Victorian gun thieves eavesdrop on cops. Mm. Criminals listening to Victorian police uh, conversations on analog radios are tracking firearm safety officers and breaking into homes they visit to steal guns. Acting wow. Chief Commissioner Tim Cartwright said the upgrade of the radio system was required now. This was the greatest threat to the operational safety uh, of our members, particularly in rural Victoria. Uh, he told the Public Accounts and Estimates Committee on Tuesday. Firearms uh, safety officers had to, had to stop telling the operations room uh, when they go out of their cars uh, to check on these secured guns because soon after a visit, we would have the property burgled, he said. Uh, Police Minister Wade Noonan said the government had provided $11.5 million to upgrade the rural radio system with Victoria Police funding a further $23.8 million. Uh, Mr Noonan also said police officers were now patrolling in pairs to reduce the threat of a terror attack. So one minute we're going on about people stealing firearms. Now yeah. we're sending police out in twos for a terror attack. Unbelievable. I mean, then again, there was that guy that was he did. Was that in Victoria where he did lunge uh, at some police officers yes. and had to be killed? I'm not sure if that was in Victoria, but I mean, fair point there. Uh, interim safety arrangements, which have been in place for six six weeks, mean single patrol officers no longer allowed. Um, so, I mean, basically, again, you know, another reason, again, when uh, police, uh, like we said, are inspecting your firearms, they're talking on the radios. Mm. Um, but this know, is all about registration, Jason. It is. I mean, without re- if registration didn't exist, none of this would be an issue. Yep, police have got and, to come and out. And me and you have spoken about this a thousand times, times yep. literally a thousand times. And this is just more evidence to prove that registration is extremely dangerous. Not you know it is extremely dangerous and um, and you know it is responsible. This bureaucracy is uh, largely responsible for for a lot of the st- stolen firearms that, um, that that end up in you know in the in the grey market in or in the yeah. black market. And even. this way, maybe one day putting people in danger. Yep, could be the death of someone finding out they really want to steal someone's firearms. So they're willing to kill for it, you yeah. know, and fight. And this is why they're going missing. They go, oh, well, you know, we're going to up our security again. Well, as we always said, where there is more data, there is more theft. Yeah. The only good data is no data at all. No data at all. There's only one person that needs to know the whereabouts of your firearms, and that is you. Me. 
Yep. Exactly. You, me, you. That is you. And, me, uh, but not you. And you know what? <laughs> it, it's just the biggest belief, Jason, that there are still so many apathetic members in our community that think registration is great. Yeah. I mean, it's Let's, just unbelievable. Hang, let me go. We give our, to the registry, got our license. Mm. Our sporting organizations, unless you've got yep. a PO box, you know, uh, your, your um, government agencies, DPI, game counts, whatever they're called these days, um, your, your local uh, dealer yep. when buying ammunition. Yep. Purchasing a firearm, you've got to put your address down on your on your receipt. Yeah. Um, what else is there? You know what I mean? Look, we Giving give out it- we give out our information so much on a daily basis, Jason, and we live in a digital world mm. and it was not inconceivable that one very determined hacker could quite easily find out all your information. Where the whereabouts of your firearms, I mean, what categories you own, all that stuff. And I mean really I just think when it comes to the double S double A and 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 parties like the Shooters and Fishers, Liberal Democrats, I think the one single most important thing they 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 need to do, they need to take action on, is abolishing the registries Australia wide. Abolish the registries purely for the safety of all all the gun owners in the country, uh, because I I fear that one day it could um, it could turn out to be a, a disastrous event. Uh, that happens, and it may well be down the line that the registry could be to blame, Jase. Well, guys, talking about um, RSPCA, this has been a very big one, mm. especially in uh, Western Australia. For you awesome Western Australian uh, shooters over there listening to this show, um, yep, you're certainly under the pump with your firearms laws. Now, we know there's been a concerted effort by the RSPCA WA to bag out hunters. They've run large, major uh Picture articles. If you haven't seen them, you can go on my um, Facebook page. But they're all across the internet. Now, the first one was where it says, "This is a trophy," and it had a picture of an actual, you know, trophy you'd get from a sports mm. event. On the right hand side, there was a rabbit. Well, technically, it was actually an American hare yep. um, saying, "This is not," meaning this is not a trophy. Now, on that particular hare. Uh, he had a gunshot wound basically in its back leg, which I mm. think was put there on purpose to uh, make it look it like a, a bad cutting, shot. It was a cut and paste. Yeah, it was a, it was a Photoshop, yeah. and they bloodied its nose. Now, about uh, two, uh, a week and a half after they came out, they ran, I think it was they ran another ad which had a deer saying the same thing. This is not a trophy. Uh, basically, you know, abolish hobby hunting, yeah. they called it. Now, this is your. Yours and mine's taxpayer dollars that are going to this anti-hunting, especially yeah. I find over the last few years, the RSPCA has definitely become a lot more extreme, uh, aligning themselves with, uh, you know, people sharing things from your know, animal liberation across the country, uh, you know, and this is taxpayer dollars going to this sort of thing. Now, Rick Mazza, uh, Shooters and Fishers Party, uh, upper house member there in WA doing a fantastic job, uh, has basically asked for an inquiry uh into the RSPCA. Yep. So there's an article here. Uh, Jacob Kagi, Kagi, oh, terrible name, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Wednesday, the 13th of May 2015, abc.net.au. Uh, a parliamentary inquiry into the RSPCA in Western Australia will go ahead after it received unanimous backing from government MPs, despite the Premier saying he thought the inquiry was unnecessary. Well, you know, obviously Barnett, you know, what's unnecessary yep. about our tax dollars being uh, spent on an anti-hunting campaign, which yep. I didn't agree to. Uh, Shooters and Fishers MP Rick Mazza, who proposed the inquiry, will chair the committee that will examine the animal welfare group's objectives, use of government funding and legislative powers. The RSPCA has a unique power to prosecute people uh, for breaches of animal welfare legislation and receives $500,000 uh, in government funding. 
among the government MPs to support it were cabinet members Peter Collier, Helen Morton, Michael oh, Michael Mischin, surprisingly, since he's always uh, about a user-pay system, uh, Colin Holt and Ken Baston. Uh, the proposal received strong condemnation from the Greens and Labor. Shock, shock, shock. shock horror, yeah. uh, who described it as a witch hunt and said the RSPCO is being targeted oh. over its opposition to expanded recreational hunting and live exports. Well, so be it. Mm. They're not there to tell us about live exports yep. or hunting. They're there to you know, look after animals, uh, advocate for animals, not in regards to, I think, you know, hunting and, uh, I mean, live export. Yep. I, mean, you know, that- I mean, but really, Jason, the RSPCA's role really is meant to be on uh, domestic animals. Yep, good isn't point, it, good isn't point. It, isn't it meant to be on domestic animals? Like in terms of, okay, pets. for example, pets, people that are doing the wrong thing by, for example, all those uh, people who are running puppy farms and, and uh, you know, breeding uh, hundreds of dogs every year in deplorable conditions. That's right, yeah. You know, putting just, them in cages, not them in, feeding in, in them, not feeding not them properly. Them. Exactly, you know, dogs living in their own feces and things like that. I mean, that's that's the RSPCA's job, you know, to, yeah. to look after those sort of things. And we that, that's what we my understanding is anyway. We don't have a problem with that. I think yeah. that's that's reasonable. That's um, expected. I mean, you know, we, you can't have people having 15 dogs in their home living in absolutely disgusting squalor. Con- uh, squalor conditions and stinking out the, I guess, the neighborhood, uh, breeding puppies uh, for a profit and just treating the animals like like crap really i mean that that's that that's inhumane and uh, and i guess the rspca have some function there but when it comes to hunting i mean really that they, they, they've been turned into a political lobby group yeah and there was a good int- uh, a good news article uh video and we're actually going to play that right now now this was i think from the panel now, I mm. can't remember the people that were on it. I know one of them is Joe Hildebrand yep. uh, on the panel. James James Matheson, I think, too. Yep. James Matheson, that's number two. Um, there were a couple more people on that panel as well. But what we're going to do is we're yeah. going to play that for you now. It only goes for about a minute and 40 seconds, so we're going to play that. And we're actually getting some good um, PR um, from some of these mainstream, I'd say, lefty uh, media organizations. So we're yeah. going to listen to that yeah. now, and you yeah. can um, have a listen and see what you guys think. The RSPCA is under fire for doctoring photos to demonise hunters. After a very public feud, the Animal Protection Society in WA released a series of ads depicting a dead rabbit. But blood was digitally added and it was not even an Australian animal but an American hare. What do you think about this, Joe? I think the take-home message is no matter how good your cause, no matter how much you believe in it, the minute you start uh, altering things, the minute you start screwing with things and trying to mislead or deceive people, you're screwed and your cause is gone. And it means that when the RSPCA in other states or, you know, or other organisations fighting whatever cause, when they actually try and do something, people are going to say, oh, well, they probably just made it up or they oh, probably yeah. just changed it. And so not only have you ruined your own cause, you've ruined it for everyone else. Well done. Mm. You, you understand messaging, don't you, very well. Well, I, I do understand messaging. Yeah, I agree with Joe. The fact that regardless of the cause, and I'm a hunter, I fish, so I, I call myself a hunter. Yeah, if you know what I mean. So they're just, they're just not cuddly, right? So Peter yeah, doesn't really care about matter, that. Let's yeah. face it, right? So um, I think as soon as you, you do that, as soon as you devalue your message, I no longer believe that. Exactly. So there's, there's no need for it. Do you remember when, um, I think it was Michael Caton and um, uh, Kate Blanchett did those ads about climate change, about yes. global warming? And it was a very powerful message. Yeah. But behind them they had... Smokestacks going that were blowing up, you know, I think it was either just steam going into the air. And that delegitimised their entire message just by the imagery they use. And that's why you've got to be so careful. You know, it doesn't matter, like you're saying, what you're saying 
unless you're honest, people are like, see you, mate. Thanks for coming, you know. You yep. lied to us there, then why would we believe anything else you're going to say? Yep. Now, there you go, guys. I mean, the RSPCA definitely copying a bit of a bollocking, and, and, and the panel is generally a left-wing, left-leaning show. Mm. Uh, on channel, although on channel Hildebrand, 10. if you haven't seen Joe Hildebrand, even though he can be a bit of a goink sometimes, yep. uh, he did a couple of years ago. I think it was smash the greens and said, you know, they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we Joe Hildebrand's them. kind of in the middle or centre right uh, a lot of times uh, in, with his political views. But then again, Jason, think about what Jeff Jones said before. I mean, he, we need to have an evidence-based approach to win the people in the middle. And here you go with an evidence-based approach where they've the RSPCA has been caught out. Um, uh, you know, uh, f- faking things regarding the rabbit, and generally the people out there are saying, "Well, no, you know, if you're going to fake things in your message, I mean, then that just destroys your message." And and they're absolutely spot on. So, and this is how you win over people who are in the middle of the road, I guess. Yeah, and with the RSPCA, you know, photoshopping something, a photo. Mm. I mean, we've been supplied the photo here at AHP. It's the exact same photo. They've done a bit of editing uh, on the photo. I mean, it's not even a rabbit. It's an American hare. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, again, you start doing these sort of things, you start losing credibility, uh, and that's why the inquiry has been given the green light in WA. I mean, yep. can't be spending taxpayer funds. On to Mars, another one. Okay, this was from ABC Rural, a story from a while ago uh, by Michael Condon, uh, ABC Rural, uh, Monday, 13th of April. And this is, the headline is, Feral Cat Controls Needs a National Approach, says Threatened Species Commissioner. So feral cats are in the spotlight by the Threatened Species Commissioner. What? Now, Hang on, is that pun intended, the spotlight? <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Jace. I've had a few feral cats in the spotlight, let me tell you. They didn't last very long. <laughs> okay, so okay, um, the story says a new, <laughs> a new national approach and coordinated effort is needed to control feral cats, according to the federal government. Threatened Species Commissioner uh, Gregory Andrews wants feedback on how to deal with the explosion of cats. Well, I love exploding cats, Jace. <laughs> well, hey, all the people that love their cats, good on you. Just not a. I'm a dog guy, not a cat guy. Oh, I don't mind domestic cats, but I just uh, love exploding oh, that's cats. It. Anyway, um, you're, hey, <laughs> get out of my office, get out of my room. You're fired. You're no longer on the straight shooting podcast. That's it. Get okay, out. now, hey, give me that UHF CB radio and antenna back right now. Look, I'm not a cat person, Jason. <laughs> All right, you can keep the radio. Go. Okay, uh, saying that they're a huge problem in Australia. Yes, absolutely, they are. Australia is home to around 20 million feral cats including, uh, sorry, according to the latest scientific information. That's not home cats, they say, That's or stray cats. That's just the feral cats. I mean, a stray cat, feral cat, I mean, stray cats pretty much turn into feral cats, don't they, Jason? Uh, living in the bush, he says. Uh, one feral cat eats between three and 20 native animals a day. Can you imagine that, Jason? It's unbelievable. That adds up to uh, conser- uh, a conservative 80 million native animals a day. That's what we're losing, guys, out there. 80 million native animals a day to the feral cat population. We all know about feral pigs, camel, and wild dogs, but the feral cat is destroying native wildlife and impacting on farm production. Mr. Andrews said feral cats threaten the survival of more than 180 species in Australia. Now is your chance to have your say on how to best reduce their impact, he said. The Department of Environment is seeking public comment on proposed revisions to its national threat abatement plan uh, for pre- uh, for predation by feral cats. Now, this is very important, Jason, and I urge everyone to get onto the Department of Environment website 
and give the give their feedback. And I'll get, suggest part of the feedback should be to, uh, you know, for these guys to lobby for more recreational hunting on public lands. Exactly. I mean, we need more shooters out there. We need more shooters out there targeting cats wherever they can find them, especially even on private properties. They should be um, trying to uh, lobby farmers to encourage more people to go hunting. Yeah. Um, it's absolute no-brainer, uh, of course. And my, one of the other things too, Jason, I mean, Category C licenses, you know, Category C firearms, sorry, you know, uh, putting into Category A and B. Yeah. I mean, these are semi-auto shotguns, of course. Uh, pump semi- shotguns. Pump shotguns, semi-automatic uh, rim fires, very effective rifles uh, against uh, these sort of uh, pests. The Department of Environment uh, is, yes, um, sorry, uh, we need to look at different ways, he says, to stop feral cats pushing native mammals, reptiles, frogs, and ground-dwelling birds to extinction. And that is why this plan is important. It's critical uh, for iconic animals such as uh, bilbies, bandicoots, and wallabies. And uh, the science shows that uh, even falcons and platypuses are now at risk from feral cats. Wow, even platypuses. The interesting part of that is that there's an article, we'll probably do that in the next show, guys, where they're actually releasing some quals uh, back Mm. into the wild now. (laughs) It's kind of... That's great news, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of laughable for the fact that how do you rear up quolls, uh, then release them when they've actually grown up in captivity? I find that I'm not sure about the quoll. I'm not experienced in the quoll, but I would presume if you generally have a wild animal <clears throat> that has mm-hmm. been uh, born and bred in captivity, yep. then trying to put it into the wild... Uh, it's not going to last very long, especially no. with feral cats. Uh, I mean, the little quoll, there's a reason it was half extinct in the first place is because, yep. you know, it was being attacked by cats, foxes. Yep. I mean, it's, it doesn't stand a chance. I think they've got about 40, 40 or 50 quolls they're going to put back into the bush. I mean, how long are those little little buggers going to last if they're getting attacked by feral cats? And they, you know, they've got no I mean, foxes. Yep. You've seen a fox. They're very yep. fast, uh, well, very elusive. Well, before the, before the colonization of Australia... Um, uh, by Euro- European settlers, I mean the the quoll didn't really have too many predators, Jace. Uh, Not true. That, and was able. Well, why to would fight. you want to maybe release it back into you know, national parks into fox territory? I mean, yeah. it's just not going to last long. I, 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 don't, I don't think they're going to last long. Anyway, part of this story is actually good news, Jason. Uh, Threatened Species Commissioner says that uh, they've eradicated feral cats from free Australian islands. So there's a couple of islands around Australia that had feral cats on them, and they've managed to eradicate them. Uh, from there, but definitely with the feral cats uh, population. I mean, I'm not I'm not a big fan of uh, baits. I think baits target um, a whole indiscriminate to other animals. Indiscriminate, they target a whole bunch of different species. I'm not a big fan of that. But the feral cat population, um, it just seems to be exploding, Jason. In in and uh, it, it's it's kind of like an ecological crisis, really, yeah. in the country. We're, we're facing this massive crisis. Uh, where literally uh, a whole heap of species are, are destined to become extinct in the next 20 years uh, due to the feral cat population. And I just think um, for government not to encourage more recreational hunting, and, and I'm talking governments everywhere, uh, state, federal governments to, to not... And, and, you know, maybe even there is a, um, a case to be had here, Jason, for a national approach in um, uh, feral animal hunting uh, to have all public lands available for recreational hunting just to reduce the uh you know to, to put, try and put a dent into the f- uh, feral cat population i think there's a, a definitely a good case for that but anyway that's uh that's from abc rural jason and what have you got there yeah daily telegraph uh mark mori uh this is may 8th 2015 <clears throat> this one i always find very very mm. interesting uh police want rifles 
Better bulletproof vests and guns in court as part of major security overhaul. Okay, uh, New South Wales police uh, need to be ne- sorry need to be mm. equipped. Very interesting comment. Need to be equipped with rifles, given new bulletproof vests, and be allowed to wear their guns in court because of the increased risk of terror attacks. According to the president uh, of the National Police Association, uh, Scott Webber, he said police were ill-equipped to protect themselves in the community. Wow, mm. very interesting in the current environment, and is calling on the government and the New South Wales Police to urgently implement new guidelines. Mm. Uh, the Police Association of New South Wales is calling on the New South Wales State Government Minister uh, to make sure these things happen. Uh, Justice and Police uh, and the New South Wales Police Commissioner to step up the support uh, by addressing multiple unresolved uh, safety issues, putting police and uh, the public at risk. Um, so basically, then they, they go on to talk about the Link Cafe, highlighting the siege. I mean, heaven forbid the actual uh, public mm. that was in the cafe at the time. Well, there was no police in there. So I'm not yeah. sure why the police would want those bulletproof vests at the time, possibly during the siege. Yes, yep. maybe. Um, yep. But obviously at the time, the actual, yeah, the incident takes place. Well, there was no police in there. Yep. Uh, so again... You know, again, this is the whole mantra that I always say. I mean, again, I'm more than happy, uh, you know, if these police want to do that. But, you know, again, I'm not afforded the same type of protection. Uh, again, they want it, you know, they need to protect themselves uh, in the community during the current environment. Yeah. Well, what current environment? Well, I'm not part of that current environment. Yeah. Uh, again, this is a simple, you know, we want this, we want that. Uh, you're not allowed to have it. Uh, we're the police, you know, because I always find that interesting. And, again, I respect the police, but I always find as soon as someone puts a police uh, shirt on, all of a sudden they get – all of a sudden get this newfound uh, respect for one, like they're the mm. professionals of everything. Saying, well, you know, and again, I know police officers, guys. I'm not talking out of my bum. Uh, one of my best friends that I went to school with is a detective, and she says yeah. they shoot uh, maybe once a year uh, if they're lucky. Um, yeah. Due to budgeting restrictions, they're lucky if they're able to shoot 20 well, rounds. I have, well, I have many friends that are police officers, yep. and they told me the same thing. Same thing. But, um, but yeah, look, I don't agree, Jason. I don't agree with police having more uh, more armaments. I don't agree with militarising the police at all. One thing I do agree, I think a police officer never stops being a police officer, whether you're on duty or not. I mean, you're still a police officer, and I believe all police officers should be allowed to carry their sidearm at all times, whether they're on duty or not. Uh, when they're not on duty, I believe they should have uh, the right to at least conceal carry. Uh, because you never know when there might be a situation that arises where they're required to be on duty in an instant. So, And as far as taking firearms home for self-defence, yes, absolutely. Every police officer should be able to take their firearms home uh, for self-defence. But now, when, in, when we start to move into territory rifles, and when they talk rifles, I'm assuming they're talking about AR-15s, MP5s, who knows. Um, I'm sure then the police aren't going to be walking around with bolt actions. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's not sure. the appropriate. I'm use, sure they're so. not talking about those sort of rifles. But, but like, yeah, the register where registry always tells you, you know, you don't need follow up shots. You know, no. you know, uh, no, uh, large mobs of pigs is not a genuine reason yeah. to to own a Category D yeah, firearm. But right. well, you know, then you know when the shit hits the fan yeah. uh, in a siege situation, I yeah. mean, you should be just happy with the bolt action. Then you know, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, you think so? But no, no, I don't think so. Uh, but look. Uh, well, they'd like to think so. That's what I was going to say. But look, uh, seriously, I can't see... If you're going to trust a police officer with a firearm, you should be able to trust a police officer everywhere with a firearm. Uh, you know. I could it, say it, that within a shooter. If I can trust you with a firearm down the range, why can't I trust you with a firearm walking down the street? 
Well, you can, but uh, the laws, obviously, we, you know, uh, I guess um, people who are like the police, currently the laws in Australia, obviously, uh, the police uh, obviously have a uniform and they're licensed to carry that firearm. And So uh, am I. So I'm, I'm licensed to use the firearm. What's yeah, the difference? Yeah, but it has to be concealed, I guess. It has to be concealed. Um, I'm not sure about that, Jase. That's an interesting point you make. I mean, is, can I carry my gun case down the street? Okay, the firearm's concealed. Everyone knows it's a gun case, but it's concealed. Yep. Is that legal? And I'm not sure about that. I think it's not because it has to be locked up and secure within okay. your vehicle at all times. So like, what happens if you go, um, you know, you want to go hunt Victor- Victoria, you want to fly down there, a friend meets you at the airport, or says no, you know, at the time you've got to get on a bus mm. and travel from the airport to here, then I'll pick you up from there. What do you do then? Sitting yeah. there, you know, no one's got any there's idea. Gray, You're sitting exactly, on a bus there, with a shotgun. There's a lot your, of grey areas there. There's a lot of grey. How do you, how do you uh, properly transport What is if you can't get a lift? He yeah. says, yeah, I can't get to the airport, so busy, I'll meet you at the next stop. You're sitting in a bus with, you know, people from the airport. Uh, they're just thinking probably there's a guitar in there or something like that, and yeah. it turns out it's a shotgun. So. Actually, just recently, Jason, it's very interesting. I was well, I was in uh, Queensland, central Queensland, and I did carry, uh, I took my um, uh, metal detector with me because mm-hmm. I went up there and I'd done a bit of uh, uh, metal detecting. So, uh, And I put the detector in one of my uh, firearm cases. Because it just it fit, fits perfectly, and I and I didn't want it to to be damaged, and actually I got asked a lot of questions at the airport. Um, is that a? Oh no, no, it's not. It's not. I said to him, it's not a <laughs> firearm. I opened it up. I showed him it's a metal detector and so on. And they said, yeah, no worries, no problem. But uh, they didn't really chuck a, chuck a big fuss. And this was a um obviously a um uh, interstate flight, uh, but they didn't chuck a big fuss at all. It was no problem. Uh, yeah, I've taken a. I've been to Victoria, taken my uh, shotgun on the plane, and it wasn't a problem. So, I mean, you know, yeah. we sh- you know what we should talk about now, though? What? Our hunting trip. Oh, we yes. We didn't talk about our hunting trip. Yes. Um, we, me and Mars decided to go on a, um, uh, was a, a shortly planned hunting trip. Yep. We went to, I won't say where and when, but went to a state forest. Yep. Um, got our R licenses, which um, I've got a five-year license, and uh, Mars is pretty similar. Yep. Um, but he, jo- he, he, we basically liked to go out. We wanted to go to a place... Um, that had lots of pine. I've never really hunted a lot of pine before, mm. so I do enjoy. You know, I like the pine, and especially when you get inside the pine, the eeriness uh, of the it pine. Is, it is very pretty, and uh, something really, really calming about it. I, I really love yep. hunting in the pine. And yeah, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, so we, we basically went out there. We we uh, got some of the wood mushrooms, or what do they call them? Saffron. Someone mentioned about saffron mushrooms. Is that incorrect? I'm not sure, something. but I'm pretty much I'm pretty sure that uh, they are called the wood uh, the wood mushroom. Yeah, we cooked some mushroom, which, uh, which only a... grows during certain times of the year. Yep, and we uh, we did a bit of a cooking video. Again, you can check out that um, uh, on my Facebook page, Aussie Feral Control, uh, which is one word. And Muzz's yep. um, also, he hasn't got that on there, but his um, YouTube. What's your YouTube channel, Muzz? You know what, Jason? Aussie Freedom Fighter? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Aussie Freedom. Aussie <laughs> it's Shooter? Been, it's been so long since I logged on to yeah, it. I've almost forgotten. I've been so busy with my family life. Yeah. But, Jason, we've done a really good video. Uh, I think it's great. I mean, um, we we cooked a, a few mushrooms and uh, we whistled in a few foxes, Jace. Yep. Jason done a fantastic job. He, he does a really good job of whistling in foxes and um, and I used the old Trussberg uh, bolt action uh, Mossberg yeah. <laughs> shotgun, which I love. Yeah. I absolutely love that gun. And uh, yeah. we easily dispatched a couple of foxes there, and uh, that should be all in the video. Yeah, it was quite interesting because the first one we did, we actually got out of the car, walked over into a clearing. There was still some, like, what, young pine, maybe yep. maybe eight to ten foot high, yep. well, not, maybe not even that, and uh, got on the whistle. We basically stood on some uh, 
cut pine logs that were yep. just you know half a foot off the ground stood on them we sort of looked like a tree a little bit and um got on the whistle and then all of a sudden to my right say about my three o'clock position um i gave muzz a nod i said to the right to the right said the red and he could have couldn't see it first and then um he moved up a bit and he said yep see him and then yep. they got to what probably maybe 15 maybe t- couldn't be more than 20 meters no less than that um muzz easily dispatched him yep. uh with the uh, bb's uh, shotgun that was a good one and the next one we had was a great one. Uh, we went and stood in front of some pine. Uh, this was the next day. I think it was on Sunday before we left. Uh, Just to on come top home. of the hill. Yeah, on top of a hill. And realistically, you probably couldn't see, even though the pine wasn't that high. 30 maybe. metres visibility. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe if you're lucky. That, yeah. um, but the pine was probably maybe you know 12 to 15 foot high. So we just decided basically just to stand in front of one of the pine trees yep. um, right next to shoulder to shoulder, got on the whistle. All of a sudden to the left, probably at my you know 9 or 10 o'clock, but probably my, yep. yeah, maybe 10 o'clock position, uh, I saw a fox come behind one of these pine. It was maybe the pine was maybe six foot high, maybe seven foot. Yep. And I said, Mars to the left behind that pine tree. And he wasn't moving, but I could just see the fox behind the pop up behind the pine. And then I, uh, he sort of got in position, angled left, and then I gave him another whistle, and the, literally the fox literally came under the lowest branch of the pine, right in front of the pine, and uh, Mars easily dispatched it uh, with a shotgun, maybe 15 metres. Yep. Uh, fantastic shot. Um, and as we were about to uh, move over to, the, to have a look at the fox, um, all of a sudden, literally myself and Mars at the same time saw at our another 12 one. o'clock position... Another fox just sitting there just staring at us at about 15 metres. And mind you, we just shot the other one. Yep. So I'm surprised. I've never <laughs> He had wasn't a, scared off by the shot. No. <laughs> and I've never been in a position ever that I've seen I've shot a fox. I've had twos come in only a couple of times. You shoot one, the other one is hightailing it yep. out of there, not hanging around. And all of a sudden, me and Muzz, I think, saw it at the same time. Muzz just you know, literally just had the bolt. Like At the same time we saw it, he was actually reloading another shot um, just in case one was going to come up. Then we looked up there at was bang bang, yeah, bang dropped it on the spot <laughs> and uh, we've also got that again on my um uh, youtube channel aussie feral yeah. control no, that, so was a, that was the, that was quite enjoyable it was a good hunt jason yeah we um, got set up yeah. we cooked we brought our stuff with us our swags yep um cooked up made the um video on cooking up wood mushrooms with some onions and garlic yep. and stuff like that it was um it was fantastic and wasn't actually it? jason i want to um i just want to uh, give you a, a a good plug here because uh jason brings He's very very fussy with the things that he brings camping, and he does bring <laughs> oh, a lot shit. of equipment. <laughs> no, it's good, Jason. It's all good. He does bring a lot of equipment, so we're testing out some of the equipment with the uh, solar battery uh, pack, yep, Jason. Yeah, we had – um, what did I buy? I've got – because when we go out in the field, we've got, you know, we, wanted, we wanted to film. Yeah, yep. Muzz has got a GoPro, even though literally the time we shot those two foxes, Muzz had low battery power. Gosh. We thought it was on, and we thought we were going to get some awesome footage. Turns out I the battery was, was flat. So disappointed in that. So we, we, we want to find a way to charge our phones. We want to charge um, – run our angle. I've got an angle fridge now yep. um, instead of bringing the Esky. So basically what I did is I bought a couple of 160-watt solar panels, um, which, you know, obviously portable ones. Um, I then bought one of those battery boxes. Um, it's got a couple of different connections on it. It's got an Anderson plug, a Merit socket, mm. a um, cigarette socket, yeah. um, and then also so we can run our fridge. Um, we can charge the panels, uh, and it actually surprisingly actually kept. You know, I put a 100 amp hour battery inside the battery box, so it runs the fridge, uh, lights, charges our phones, um, does a great job, and it yeah. kept the battery full for two days. I mean, it was one of the nights it did rain, one of the afternoons, and into the night it did rain, yeah. um, and kept the battery full. And speaking of the weekend. rain, yeah, speaking of the rain, Jason. And it worked out well, yeah, it worked yeah. out well. Speaking of the rain, I must say, what an absolute 
pleasure it is to sit under your tarp yep. while you listen to the raindrops falling uh, on top of you. It was yeah. it's really relaxing. And it's for relaxing, those of you yeah. guys that are new to hunting and um, and haven't been out too many times, uh, you've got to get yourself a decent sized tarp. At least a, a five by eight meter tarp. I mean, something a decent size. Get the poles. Believe me, it costs you about two hundred dollars yeah. setup cost to to get this uh, organized. But it's well, maybe well, even well more, worth maybe it. even more than that. But with the yeah. poles and the the tarp. But the thing is, Muzz always says to me every time we get, it's like, yeah. geez, you bring a lot of gear. Yeah. I mean, I've got a double <laughs> swag. I love a bit. I love my creature comforts. Yeah, you know, we bring a table. We bring our cooker. Yeah, um, you know, me myself, Muzz put our swags underneath the tarp. Yep. But I mean, it did rain. There's nothing worse than being out in the bush. I mean, even though it's soaking wet. Yeah, even though the these swags are waterproof, I don't like getting them wet because they get mouldy when you bring them back sure. um, they're only going to be waterproof for so long if you're in a puddle it's a complete nightmare um, and yeah it's good to have a tarp especially if it's cold especially in those winter if you're down in deer country yep. you know you want to come back in the afternoon if you're not under a tree and you're in full sun the you know, if you're up high on a mountain the sun is still fairly hot does beat down on you on your skin yes. and you know you don't want to be hot you know you can sit underneath your uh, tarp uh, it's just fantastic uh, and, a tarp um, is an absolute must and, and at the very least if you don't want to uh, spend that much money uh, on like two, two, two to two hundred fifty dollars on a big tarp setup. I mean, I think about only one hundred and eighty dollars or one hundred and sixty dollars should get you a decent three by three meter gazebo at least. That oh you yeah, can the pop gazebos. Up. At least something you have something to put uh, put some shade over you and uh, protect you from the rain. So if you're new to hunting, you haven't you know gone out too many times, get yourself a tarp, a decent tarp. It is a must. Um, uh, you won't regret it, and uh, you'll have a, a really comfortable yeah. a, uh, area in your in your campsite that protects you from the, from the sun and the rain. And uh, yeah, as, the, as you know, Jason, yeah. hunting during the winter time, yep. occasionally you do get some showers. That's right. And yep. Uh, yep. and to be honest, I, I love that, especially in the pine forest. A nice yep. little shower every now and then to put some moisture in the air, and it really does hide your scent. Yeah, uh, when you hunt deer, so I really do love that. So the only thing is, I'd love. I was talking to that Muzz about this, but every time we go out, even Mother Main Anthony does it because you carry a lot of stuff. But every time they need something, like, oh, did anyone bring this? Oh yeah, yeah I've got Jason that. Yeah, it. I've got it. Um, did anyone bring this? Oh yeah, I've got that too. Oh, who's got an extra knife? Well, yeah, I've got that too. Because I always carry, you know, like a little black box, and it's got like a little, you know, like a just a, a plastic one. It's got yep. you know cooking gear. I've got you know cutting boards, you know, alfoil, yep. you know, Ziploc bags garbage bags you know again these things you need just comes in one little box and you just put it in the car and you're ready to go and i was telling mars i thought you know getting all this stuff together all the time when you go hunting to put in the back of the car you, you inevitably forget things mm. so i know a guy a guys that are investing in which may be a possibility depending on my employment in a couple of months but you know getting like a trader like a tradies trailer you know with like a pitched roof um you know and you can basically i can basically set that up with a front yep. box on the drawbar uh run my solar panels and my that's another thing when I actually brought my uh, solar panels my angle fridge mm. and my battery box is when you're moving me, me and Muzz were driving the car a fair bit and we don't Muzz doesn't have a dual battery system so basically I had to leave under the tarp my yeah. fridge my solar panels my uh, battery box which is about you know, fifty thirteen to fifteen hundred dollars worth of gear. Now, if come on, someone comes in and steals that, that's not good. Yet, if I had a trailer, all I have to do put all my gear in there, uh, set up a um, a, a box, a toolbox on the drawbar, put all the battery in there, the solar panel stuff, the regulator, you know, and then all I got, I can lock it up and I can have a little yep. an Anderson plug connected on the outside to plug the battery, sorry, the yep. uh, solar panel straight into. 
you know, park up your uh, trailer when you come home into your garage. Bolt, bolt it next to a tree. Bolt it, yeah, bolt it onto a tree with a chain. That way yep. you can't lose it. And that way I can keep my angle fridge in the back of the trailer yeah. locked up. So and then, you know, you obviously open the sides when you need it with, you know, you've got the, um, what do they call those things, like the, um, the pressure springs when you open yes. it up, keeps it up. Um, and it's fantastic. Instead of having your gear stolen, you know, come home, back your trailer back in, you know, maybe the, the weekend later, replenish all your gear, yep. replenish your cooking stuff or put some extra stuff that you need. And then you're ready to go for the next trip. And, yep. and you, everything is in there ready to go. You can, if you know, some people love it and put their rooftop tents on top of their, um, on top of their trailers as well. Yeah, yep. you've got to have the room. It's probably going to cost you a couple of grand, maybe three grand, two and a half, depending on what you want. Or a camper trailer, mm. you know, having all your gear secured, that's really going to help me instead of, you know, trying to, you know, again, every time I come home, load it back in, load it onto, you know, all my um, shelves out in the garage, forgetting stuff. Yep. Muzz knows I forgot my magazine from my uh, oh, 7.08. I know all about forgetting things, Jason. Remember, I'm the bloke oh, who forgot his swag. Mars <laughs> forgot his swag going to uh, one of the state forests down south as well. Oh, um, that was hilarious. But you know what, Jason? I'll tell you what. The best bang for buck you could ever spend as a as a new hunt someone who's new to hunting is the two hundred and fifty dollars on a really decent tarp. I yep. mean that is money yep. well spent. Uh, to provide you with the necessary shelter you'll need. Um, yeah. for There's nothing worse, sun. guys, yeah. when it rains. Seriously, and you're not you're not covered. You just want to go yeah. home, and that's me. I want to. It starts raining, <laughs> and all my gear gets wet. Uh, you know, I just want to go home because it just really puts a. I mean, no pun intended. Puts a dampener really on the yeah. whole hunt. Yeah. Uh, you know, you want if it does rain, you want to come back. You want to sit under your tarp. You're covered. You know, your your area where you sleep's dry. I mean, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Also, another thing, Jason, that we did come across uh, during our trip is. Uh, we saw someone else's trial cam. Yes, we did. And it's, uh, it's, we didn't and steal it, don't worry. No, that's right. We were, so gonna, we a, were going to get in front of it and make funny faces, uh, but with our hat over our heads, so you couldn't you imagine tell someone us. seeing Jason and Muzz yeah. in their trial cam? Yeah. But we were going to cover our faces and just have a bit of a joke. But, um, you know, again, leave people's yeah. trail cams alone, which yes, we very did. Important. Because the reason we found their trail cam, because we went to this area to put our trail cam there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a spot cam. where I usually put my trail cam. And, so. I, and uh, unfortunately, I found out it's a spot that someone else knows about too. So uh, very important, guys. Uh, really think about it. If it was your trail cam, you wouldn't want it stolen or taken or anything. So if you do see other people's trail camera, Please leave it alone. Yeah. I know this has been a long show before we finish off. I um, want to thank the guys at um, uh, Vic Armory, Victorian Armory, mm. uh, yeah. the, the com. Uh, check out their website. They gave us an awesome donation. Uh, thank you to any people that have given us a donation or our monthly uh, subscribed uh, donation, guys. Yep. I know Glenn's one of them. Again, sorry if I've forgotten anyone else. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head right now. Uh, and again, I wanted to thank uh, all the people uh, that have been putting uh, comments uh, on yes. iTunes just recently, four or five more comments on iTunes, giving us five stars. Please, thank you very much. Uh, please jump on iTunes and leave us a comment. Certainly rates us a lot higher. Yep. Um, I think we're number one in the outdoor category in Australia, which is bloody fantastic. Um, what else we got here? Muzz? Um, well, um, uh, to say voice, hang on, before we go on, say yep. voicemails again. People, voice again, mouth, click yes. on that website. That. Um, that is your way at the moment that we can get you onto the show without having you know a full mixer and board set up. Uh, it's easy. We will play your voicemail on the show. Yes. Uh, very, very important. Again, we've got Bridget McKenzie coming up soon. We've got more Everyday Hunters. Uh, we've got more guests coming up in general, more straight shooting. Yeah. And, guys, if you want to, uh, speaking about the voicemail, if you want to just uh, leave some of the 
uh, tips you have for uh, uh, some of the gear you carry yep, while, yep, while, while you yep. go hunting, uh, uh, some of the tricks you have in terms of saving space. Absolutely. Uh, I know space is always an issue when you're, when you're traveling out uh, to the bush and you only got the one car and you're trying to fit everything in. And also, um, Jason might be thinking of in the future buying a uh, a proper four wheel drive, Jason. Yeah, yeah. So he's exactly. t- he's uh, um, thinking about either getting an extra cab or a yeah. dual cab. I'm yeah. I'm telling him to get a dual cab. He uh, won't regret it. No, he's I'm not thinking, he's not a fan. So we, we'd like to hear your opinion, guys, on what yeah. sort of cars, what sort of rigs you have, dual cab or single cab or extra cab. What do you prefer? Um, so Jason can maybe uh, help Jason make up his mind. Yeah, and I will give you an awesome tip, guys. The reason when we're talking about angle fridges, I think this was um, quite interesting. Uh, I've got a couple of Eskies, the Techni Ice, which I know something during their magazine they do have a couple of uh, 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 animal liberation type uh, advertisements oh, yes. during the Techni Ice um, manual or when you actually ring up about their consumer catalogue. But anyway, I've got a couple of I think I got a seventy liter Techni Ice, a forty yeah, liter, yes. and then I bought a thirty eight liter Angle fridge. Now a lot of people say, well, you know, what is if I want to use it, you know, just as a freezer? Well, I'll give you guys an awesome tip of what I'm doing it with. Um, go. To buy go to the shop buy yourself a cryovac or a vacuum sealer hundred dollars doesn't have to be fantastic Uh, then what i actually do is uh, before i go on a hunting trip put my fridge on in the garage uh, cool it down take all my stuff from my normal fridge on the day of the hunt put it in my fridge a couple of hours before i'm leaving that way it's always cooled down put it in my frozen gear in there and what i do is i vac seal all my meat uh, and any uh, food that I want to make sure it keeps because, as I said, when it's vac sealed, it will last three weeks in the fridge before it goes off. Now, yep. unless you're going out in the field for more than three weeks, which most people don't, mm. they might go for a weekend hunt, three day hunt, four a day week. hunt, maybe a week. Yeah, you know? it'll last for three weeks. So I put it in there frozen. After a couple of days, it thaws out. It doesn't matter. It's got no air on it. It will keep for that long. And I got another tip for you. People are pre-cooking their meals and vac-sealing their meals. Okay, what they do then is they go out in the bush, they've got a saucepan of water, put it on the fire, make sure it doesn't have any plastic handles, right, guys? Put And they get get it simmering slowly. And the bags you can actually put in the water for 20 minutes. Then it heats up your meal. Cut off the top. Yep, you bloody, you've got fantastic. a fantastic yeah. meal. That way you're not clean. Then all you do is you've got a garbage bag that you've brought along with you, dispose the bag yep. into that garbage bag, that's it. You've had a meal. You can make up your spaghetti. You name it, you can make it up. And speaking of meals, Jason, mm-hmm. guys, Jason makes the so absolute best venison and pork sausages. <laughs> they are to die for. And he brought some to the trip and he had them back sealed. I did, yeah, yeah. And they were sensational. They tasted fresh as, absolutely brilliant. Good on you, Jason. I yep. can't speak highly enough of them. They're some of the best sausages I've ever had in my life. They're really tasty. And that makes it good too because you mm. don't have to use the angle fridge on freezer. Because again, yep. when I'm running off that um, portable 100 amp hour battery on the solar system, mm. uh, if you run it on freezer, it's going to consume a lot more electricity off your battery. Yes. Especially if you've got a couple of days of no sun, uh, lots of clouds, and it may not be able to keep up, which generally it does. I've got 160 watt panels, guys, so it keeps up no problem whatsoever. Yep. But again, you know, running it as a fridge, it's going to run less. Uh, again, put your vac sealed meats in uh, before you go away. I mean, it will take them two days to thaw out. 
um, in the angle fridge on uh, fridge mode. Anyway, yeah. so most of the time you're probably going to have to take them. If you're only going for two or three days, you're going to have to take your food out in the morning so it um, uh, defrosts uh, for, say, your nighttime dinner. But again, that's a, a, a pretty awesome tip, guys. You know, vac seal your meals uh, before you go. You don't have to worry about really uh, cooking as much. Maybe you cook morning, breakfast, eggs, bacon, whatever you want. And at night or in the afternoon, you just have a nice, um, yeah. you know, pre-vac sealed meal in that... Um, in that uh, you know, simmering water. So as you see, guys, there, um, once we start talking about hunting, <laughs> we just can't stop. I mean, literally, we're at right now, we're at an hour and 46 minutes, yep. probably a bit more with our advertisements and uh, sure. playing our audio during the show, probably about the one hour and 50 uh, minute mark. So again, wanted to say, look forward to the Bridget McKenzie interview. I think that was a great interview. Um, you know, she gave it to the Greens hardcore, which I thought was fantastic. Yep. Um, disagreed a few things on the end regarding the NFA. Uh, which you'll be able to hear from yourself. Um, but other than that, I mean, 99.95%, I agree with what she's saying. She's a champion uh, for you know hunting and shooting activities. She's a hunter and shooter herself, guys. Yes. So um, I didn't know that before, um, but she certainly uh, has showed a lot. So um, again, Mars wants to talk about contacting your politicians. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, guys, remember, we've got to be more active. I mean, we're, we're, we're among the most apathetic organisations really um, in the country when it comes to fighting for our rights and we've really got to turn that around. So if you've never written to a politician before, guys, just uh, write a simple five-minute letter. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate, especially um, to the Prime Minister, important uh, front, bench, front bench politicians. Local like, members. Local members. But, you know, people like Barnaby Joyce, for example, the um, Agriculture Minister. So, you know, let, let them know that you're passionate about your, your sport, your hunting. Let them know that uh, the rules are draconian. They need to be relaxed a bit more, yeah. um, that you're concerned about these sort of things. And this is the only way forward, guys. They, they, the politicians need to hear more from you. And, of course, we need to get our youth into the sport. Uh, very important. Um, if you have uh, young brothers, young sisters, whatever it might be, um, cousins, and uh, talk about the hunting, how fantastic And remember, you might be only one person. And I had an email from yep. someone the other day saying, well, you know, does this mean make a difference? I mean, absolutely yes. it does. I know it feels like you're one person. Can you imagine if we had 100,000 of you guys that are doing it? People like me, like yeah. Mario, that write to our politicians, uh, especially throughout the uh, Game Council debacle here in New South yeah. Wales. I mean, you guys should be writing about the RSPCA in WA for you WA guys. Um, you know, it's happening. You know, we're seeing an assault on hunting, you know, in Victoria. Uh, you know, yep. we're seeing it across the country, Tasmania, you know, Queensland, you know, Northern Territories, you know, pretty good. Yeah, well, I've said, pretty it before, good there, but. yeah I've said it before, Jason, and it, it only takes 10 minutes of your time yep. for an individual, 10 minutes of your time to change the country. You know, you can change the country imagine just if there 10 was... minutes of your time. And imagine that, Jason, we've got 750,000 of us uh, gun owners in the country. If we, all of us just took 10 minutes of our time to write to a politician, it would just absolutely um, break down a lot of barriers. So just remember that, guys, and look forward to Jason's interview yep. with Senator remember, Bridget McKenzie. Fantastic interview. Get someone into hunting and shooting. Even if yes. just if everybody got one person yes. right now into hunting and shooting, that would be up to $1.5 million. Yeah. If you got two people. Yes, correct. $3 I mean, million. Three mil- you know, exactly. I mean, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of lobbying power. They can't deny us then. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's very important. Uh, make it your mission to do everything you can. Um, when you're out there, don't be shy to talk about your sport uh, to further the sport of hunting. So, anyway, guys, and gun ownership. So, anyway, guys, um, uh, that's it for our show. 
Yep. Hope you enjoyed it. It was a bit longer because we haven't uh, done one for a while. Hopefully, we haven't yep. you know, bored the absolute <laughs> crap out of you. Um, but certainly lots of topics, some stuff old, some new. I mean, as we said before, me and Muzz, we could be doing a show literally every day yeah. uh, on the amount of content. We try to choose some of the best ones. Muzz wanted to spend a lot of the show breaking down the uh, uh, Jeff Jones interview, which I think was um, uh, great that he's uh, spent the time to come uh, and literally write all that stuff down, I mean, and then produce a show out of it. Again, like I said, guys, it's not just the show. This is two hours to record. It's all the preparation yes. uh, and everything to do with the show. I mean, we've been sitting here now recording the show for an hour and 50 minutes and we've spent you know probably an hour before the show getting all our articles together marking down our stuff highlighting things we need to talk about thanking people now it's a i thought this was i said to muzz last week i thought this was going to be an easy show muzz come over we record a show and release it the same night but now it turns out to be the most edited and most um, researched podcast that i do uh here on the australian hunting podcast again i hope you uh, enjoyed the show yeah well we always try our best to bring you guys the best possible content so um anyway from uh, uh myself and jason hang on this is the straight <laughs> shooting podcast here on ahp uh digital as usual i am jason selms and i'm mario Vlatka. see you next time you're listening to the straight shooting podcast here on the ahp digital radio network As always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.